Support for the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, providing you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Let's face it, we've all had our fair share of close calls while trimming below the belt. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. They've spent years perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. The state-of-the-art trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skincare technology, a battery that will last up to 90 minutes, waterproof technology that allows you to groom in the shower, and an LED light feature which illuminates grooming areas for closer and more precise trimming. We both know that cleaning up down there is a must, so you might as well use the best. Help us usher in a new outside-the-industry sponsor and solidify a relationship with this great company long into the future, all while improving your grooming experience. Trim that junk of yours and order today to help us out. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using code DIGGINGDEEP20. Welcome to the Digging Deep ATV MX Podcast with your host, two-time defending ATV motocross national champion, Cody Jensen. Am I on air? What's up, everybody? We're We're back. back. I'm your host, Cody Jansen, and welcome to yet another big-time episode, episode number 38 of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast, presented by our title sponsor, CST Tires. We have a very special episode for you tonight, one where we dig deeper into the early days of Thomas Brown's career. He joins us to share so many great memories and stories as he heads into retirement, and we're going to streamline some of this so we can get right into the episode here. Thanks to our sponsors who are all on board with us tonight. CST Tires, go to shop.csttires.com. Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew, Valvoline, SSI decals, DID Racing Chain, Wienan Motorsports, the Decker Training Facility, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV Components, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant, Forworks Carbon, DP Brakes, Gripped Gloves, Avocado Green Mattress, Roman Health, Factory 43, and Bike Strikes and Quads, LLC. Help us out by supporting these great companies, and for any products that fall through the cracks, head over to our website and click the Rocky Mountain ATVMC link. By doing this, you're helping us out in a major way. We all purchase from online retailers, so next time you do so, access that Rocky Mountain link on our website to help us out. Thanks as well to PP Performance Tuning, who's a part of this episode tonight. PP Performance Tuning, providing enhanced performance products like complete fuel injection systems, built from scratch wiring harnesses, ECU programming for the Yamaha YFZ450R, and thanks to those guys for giving our listeners the opportunity to win free Digging Deep hoodies on this episode, as well as episode 36 with Chad Weenan. And finally, I want to let you know that this episode is dedicated to Gray Parker. The longtime staple of ATV racing in the Tennessee area has passed away. Godspeed, my friend.
All right, guys, we're stoked to welcome another legendary guest to the podcast. He's brought to you by Manscaped and their Lawnmower 3.0 electric trimmer. Go to manscaped.com to get 20% off plus free shipping using code DiggingDeep20 at checkout. It's legend of the sport, Mr. Thomas Brown. What's up, buddy? Thanks for jumping back on here with us. I know you're a favorite guest of so many, so we're stoked to get you on here yet again. Oh, man, it's great to be back on here. You know, uh, I feel like these times on doing this fun stuff is uh, limited for me. So uh, the opportunity is great. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited to be back on here, man. Y'all been killing the episodes, knocking them out. And good listens. Uh, I am almost caught up, but uh, I'm getting close. You know, it's, uh, it's a good time of year to be still playing out content. So I'm pumped y'all are doing that. I appreciate you listening, obviously. More than anything, I appreciate you being a part of it. So the plan is to cover your career here today, which I'm excited about because we don't often hear about more of the early days of your of your career. But before we get started on that, tell me about the, the emotions at South of the Border and the time since then. It's been a few weeks since the season finale. Has retirement set in at this point? Tell me, tell me how we're feeling. Man, everything's kind of feeling normal as far as that goes. Uh, South of the border itself was very unique. There was a couple things about it okay. is one scene, Jody, uh, who's JB, JB racing, huge part of my career. And man, I'm so honored to be, have had him on my bike. Majority of it. He, he, it got to him more than I thought it would. And man, that meant a lot to me because he's meant a lot to me. So to see that in him kind of came to as a shock and, it it was hard on me and that kind of made me realize it too. I mean, my parents being upset and stuff like that, it was kind of, I was ready for that, but for Jody to like almost have a tear in his eye and it, it meant something to me because he meant so much to me uh, throughout this whole career and believed in me from a very young age. And I think uh, I wish I could have given him a championship and some stuff like that, but ultimately, uh, I feel like I did a lot for him, but not near as much as he did for me. So seeing that was big. The biggest thing for me personally on the day is honestly, I was nervous wreck as far as I've had a very fortunate and healthy career. Yep. Uh, I don't like to talk about it because like, if you see me knock on my head, knock on wood, every time somebody brings it up and I'm like, I know I was fortunate throughout my whole entire career is, very few injuries, very few missed races, and, and I, I knew it. And since the time I announced it, I was really nervous about it. I actually had to get off the day after I announced, and I didn't tell anybody about it. It, it was kept quiet for a long time, as we all do. And the soon as that moto was over, it was like a sigh of relief. And just to kind of expand on that even is when I was talking to Billy just a few weeks ago, Billy – he mechanic for me all year yep one point there was that big jump in the middle of south of border i think i was the only one to hit it during the race and only a few that hit it that weekend okay. and i was clicking it off pretty steadily in the race last year and billy goes man like you think you got that and i'm like has anybody else hit it he goes no and i said no i don't want nothing of that thing <laughs> and he said man at that point i knew something was different like uh, you weren't about doing something that you thought you could make and, I, and he was right as i was I just wanted to get through that round. I wanted a good result. I wanted to put it up there. And even my battle with Joel, I think, kind of proved that I didn't want to just lay over and just get a good result. But I was being really cautious. And after that race, the, the weight off my shoulders was unreal. It was so unreal that I almost didn't line up Sunday for the stock class because 
I was like, I'm healthy. Like I, I can walk away from the sport totally healthy. And Chad's the one who's like, man, just go out there and have fun. And he's the one who talked me into racing on Sunday okay. and ended up in like the third corner. We about took each other out. Well, I say we, he about took me out. I saw that and on the video. It got real. Oh, it was close. And I'm like, we didn't, I, I talked to you less than 30 minutes ago about how I did not want to do this because of this. And you're going to do this on me. Right. And he came off the track and he's like, did you cut across? And I'm like, no, I was in ruts. Like you cut across. And he's like, Oh, that was sketchy. And I'm like, yeah. So oh, that was the biggest emotion for me that day was just Saturday night and then into Sunday. And since then the pressure of not getting hurt, because the last two to three months were, I was, that's all I could think about is how fortunate I had been. And that weight off my shoulders was huge. And that's the biggest relief I've had. I think come January when it's really going to set in that I'm not racing because right now it's normal. Like I'm prepping bikes for sale. I'm working on stuff. And instead of starting to build bikes for next year, I'm just making sure everything's good for the people that are buying bikes. And uh, like I reduce some bikes, I make sure they are fully prepped with a good, you know, do a full race prep on everything. So, I have everything sold now as far as bikes go, but I too have yet to leave. They just got deposits. Okay. So I'm making sure that those are good to go and stuff like that. So as far as day to day, it's been normal as far as I'm just working on bikes and getting things ready to go. It seems like normal postseason racing. Okay. And I think here in the next little bit will help. And honestly, us getting married this year has kind of been a relief in that way too, is that the weekend after South of the Border, we did my bachelor party in Florida. So it went straight from that, from the last race to having fun. So it was almost kind of like a retirement party too, because they're, you know, obviously being in this sport so long, we had a ton of racing guys, you know, that are in my wedding and stuff like that were there. So it was, uh, that week was fun. I'll say that because a lot of guys, Chad uh, came down and came, Jody also came to the bachelor party. So we all left straight from South of the border, went to Florida and then we, we had a good time. So it, that's been a, a blessing, not only that we're getting able to get married, but to kind of keep my mind off it a little bit. I was so, going to say, it keeps I think, you, like I said, I think January. It's got to keep you busy. Go it's ahead. Gotta, it's got to keep you busy too, right? So being busy, um, it's not like you're just sitting on your hands figuring out the next move. You're busy, and now that's going to kind of fill some of your time. And, and then, you know, the wedding's coming up, and all that's going to be happening soon. So I assume that it's just going to kind of slowly transition into whatever the next chapter is. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly how it is. And we kind of got our next step figured out. So that's been, uh, we're, we've made moves on that and then we're, you know, finishing up the wedding stuff. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been busy as all get out, which I don't, at some point, I, I hope I can slow down at some point, but I don't know if I ever will be able to. So yeah. it, it's about normal life, but January comes around instead of heading to Florida or, you know, even when I stayed here the years, it's always been like, come January 1st, 2nd, you, you settle down, you start working out, you, there's one focus every day and this year uh, it won't be like that. So that's, I think when I'll really realize it that probably mid January into January, whenever it's still right now, but everybody else is motoring down and I'm, I'm not. Yeah, that, that is definitely going to be weird. So, um, you know, we're kind of at the end of an incredible career for you. So um, kind of transitioning into what we're going to talk about tonight. Take me back to the beginning. Tell me about, I mean, you, I think you filled us in a little bit at one point about maybe it was a family member or something like that that got you into racing. So take me back to how you got into ATV riding and racing way back at the beginning. 
So it all comes from my dad is we rode from, I mean, I think at like one or two, I had a little electric powered battery four wheeler. And by the time I turned three, I got, when I turned three, I got my first gas powered and we just went and rode. There's an area up here on the Red River, which is the river that borders Texas and Oklahoma and, or separates Texas and Oklahoma. Yep. And there was a riding area and we went there a couple weekends a month. And the older I got and the older my sister got, we went there more and more. And that led to when I was 10 was the, uh, I mean, nine or 10, they had a local G, uh, woods race there. Okay. And we were just riding and no big deal. We weren't planning to race or anything. The guy came up and said, Hey, we only have one rider in our peewee class. Your, your bike is the right size. You want to race? And my dad turns to me and goes, you want to race? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so we did the one race and then we learned about the series and the series not only had a wood series, but a motocross series. Okay. And so we were like, yeah, we'll go try the motocross next. And from that point on, we were hooked. I don't know. I did a few more woods races here and there, like throughout the rest of my career, basically until I went pro and even a couple of I would still do a woods race here or there and locally for fun in Texas. But as soon as I did moto, we were hooked. And that, I guess, transitioning from that is that local series, majority of their races were held at the Miller Brothers place in Cattle Mills, Texas. Okay. And, or Cattle Point, sorry. Okay. Uh, and I think, I think there was like two or three rounds that weren't at their place, at their farm out there. So obviously then I started following the Miller brothers who weren't pro local pro yet, but they were, I mean, they were probably, so I'm, I'm 10 at this point, 11. So they're 13, 14 and they're getting their first two fifty R's and just getting off blasters and and everybody's talking about them because they're, they're high left tags and they're not the fastest guys yet, but they are in, me being a couple years younger than them and man they were they were everything in my eyes so it it really that started the relationship with them that really helped me on to the next point but man that's how we got into motocross was from just trail riding to doing one woods race to lining up on a trx 90 in the on the moto track it was it was that simple and then like the trx 90 was the bike to have for oh, as far for as sure. the peewee class at least in texas Okay. It wasn't, yep. there was none of these CVTs or nothing like that. As far as we knew, I think the LT 80 would have been not the only thing close to it, Yeah. but there wasn't the, uh, like all these Casillas and DRRs and Cobras. There, there was not, it was a TRX 90 with work shocks. And man, I thought I was King. Do you remember, you remember back well, then about the, how badass some of those TRX nineties were too. I remember, uh, some of the fully built and the suspension and the gull wing and the, the, these, the pipes they had all these things. Like they were full on like a works built looking TRX nineties. It's crazy. Cause you don't see anything like that anymore. No, like that was like, I don't know because we raced locals for so long because nationals were so far from Texas. Yep. That once I started racing nationals and got on 90 mods, it seemed like the TRX 90, either that's when I realized it or that's whenever they started doing those full works ones. Like in Texas, we didn't have that. Like it was work shocks and that, but these guys that like within a couple of years, we started doing nationals. So I don't know if it happened before or at okay. the same time, but yeah, they were full on works. Like they had dual a arms and they, uh, they had different motors that they were not even TRX motors anymore. They were just, they had manual clutches on some of them. I'm like, yeah, that's an auto clutch motor. And that thing has a clutch. Like it, they were unreal. And I never had one of those. Mine was stock. And we went from, uh, 
my my trail of bikes is very interesting. We went from basically from when I started racing a TRX 90 to a blaster to a 90 mod to a 426 on a Lager chassis. Okay. And the only reason I went to the 426 is because we were having the JB was building his first 250F. Okay. Uh, for me. And so then I went 426, you know, 250 mod, and then finally do a 450. Okay. So it was uh, like a lot of ups and downs. Like there was a, and, and when I was riding the blaster at certain points, I'd be on a 450 at local stuff too. Uh, sure. So it, there, it wasn't like this progression. Like, yeah, you go 90 mod, 250 mod, 450. Like there was, it was bouncing around. I had a 400 DX TT bike at one point at, at some point that had to be when I was still on a, a blaster. I had a 400 DX TT bike. Like it was just, we, we built all kinds of stuff and I was very fortunate. My old man and he always gave me at the time what we thought was the best, if not was for sure the best. And it was definitely helped me along the way. Yeah, for sure. So I was going to get into that a little bit. So maybe we'll hold off on that for a sec. But I was going to ask you uh, what the bike progression was, because it was different for everybody back then, because there was guys, I mean, it wasn't that atypical to go from right from the blaster to, you know, to a big bike to whatever you would have been on at the time, whether that be a 250R or yeah, as the the rise and fall of the 400s and all that stuff. But um, yeah, it wasn't like it was now where everybody does the exact same thing. That's not how that was back then. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit, but uh, so did the Millers help lead you to the national scene or how did uh, fill that gap for me? Because for some of us, I mean, you were a pretty prolific, uh, young youth racer, you know, before you moved up to the big bike. So talk to me about, uh, like, how did you get to the national scene? Like you said, coming from Texas, it's not like some of the people that come from kind of the Mecca of ATV racing. Yeah. So honestly, the Millers only went nationals one year before I did for what I should now. Now Loretta's is different. Okay. Reds' own beast. When you're in Texas, everybody went to the Reds, and I think the Millers went there, and they may or may not have been 16 for several years in a row, okay. um, racing big bikes. <laughs> right. And so, yeah. but I don't know if anybody, like anybody that's been around a long time, they'll remember me. Is that there was no way I was passing a 16 right. uh, before I was 16 because that 16 I still looked like I was 12. I was four two. And we'll get into that five, too. Two, you know, I was. Yeah. yeah. So, but the what got us into nationals realistically was. Mitch Reynolds was racing TT and okay. we had a lot of roots in TT as well. And Mark Crocky, uh, was motor builder around here, a legit TT racer and motocross racer in his, in his own right. Uh, he had a motor shop down here and then Mitch Reynolds and Terry Reynolds, Mitch's dad started working with Mark a little bit. And Mark said, yeah, you want to get motocross? You come down here. You work with me from what I understand. And so I hear about this. Mark is obviously who builds all my stuff too. And he's like, yeah, dude, there's a national rider coming here. He's coming on 90 mod. He's coming to smoke you. He's, he's a bad man. And like at the time, like on a blaster, I'm the man down there. Like I, I don't want to get beat. I, right. I hated getting beat. And okay. so I think this guy's coming in town to beat me. And, and I think they're all playing into it. And I, this is a long time ago. So my imagination could be extreme a little bit, but I know that there was a lot of talk about Mitch coming and he comes to the race and practice. I'm all nervous. I meet him, you know, shake hands, whatever. He's, he's a nice kid. Uh, Mitch is a year older than me. Okay. So everything's good. 
I break my arm first lap in practice. Like, I go for a double, clip it, bike flips, grab bar, snaps my arm. So, Mitch comes down. He races. He wins that night. The next day – now, this was a night race, and the next day is, like, our series finale of the local TQA series. So, we go there, and all I have to do is roll to finish, and Mitch has to win it, to not let whoever I was battling that year not win the championship. Okay. So, now, now Mitch is our best friend. He was our enemy that we never met. 12 hours ago and now we, we need Mitch. So, and everybody's telling him this cause there's, I believe there was a lot of guys on our side that were in our group. Uh, sure. And they're like, yeah, like the same guys that brought Mitch down, Mark Rocky, and then were the same guys that normally pumped me up. So okay. they're like, yeah, Mitch, you got to win. And he had all this pressure on his shoulders and Mitch ends up winning and I roll and I get the little championship. And uh, it was pretty cool, but that's how we first got our shot at nationals and seeing a 90 mod. And I believe the next year they built, Cody Miller saw this too. And so they want to go racing nationals, but Cody was too young. Cody was 15. So they built a 90 mod for Cody and they go race nationals. And throughout that year, we start building me a 90 mod and I get it. And I, it's crazy to think, but my first ever national is now we became friends with the Reynolds because we've gone to a few of their TT races and stuff. And then obviously we're really close with the Millers and the Millers take me to my first national. My dad doesn't go, which if anybody knows, my dad missed very little of my career. He's been my right-hand man, and it, it, I couldn't have done any of the stuff I've done without him, and he's always been there. He's missed three races, I think, his entire, my entire career, and this was one of them, and it's my first one. So he, the Millers take me to my first one, and that's how we get into nationals. Like, it's just crazy. I remember riding the back of the truck with – the Millers and Joe doesn't stop for anybody. And I had a pee and I remember like calling my old man and crying, basically crying, like trying to talk quiet. Like Joe, I got a pee, but Joe said he won't stop. And then next thing I know, Cody wakes up and Cody's like, pull over. He's like, no, we don't pull over until we need fuel. And it's like, I'm going to piss out the side of the truck. So he's like, fine, I'll pull over. And I'm like, so thankful. I've been like in tears on the bottom of the floorboard of this truck, trying not to wet myself. And finally Cody wakes up and threatens to pee out the window is the only way we get him to stop. So it, that was my first national experience, and it, that was the first one. And we finished out the season that year and then raced the full national season next year on 90 Mods. But the first one was uh, – it was a unique trip. My dad wasn't there, and uh, the Millers took me to it. So that would have been 2003. Uh, would have been – it would have been Casey, Illinois, 2003. So in 2004, we went – uh, we went, we followed the whole series. I think we missed two rounds and I won every moto I raced except for one. And I blew off the, I was winning, blew off the track and hit a fence and got tangled up to it. And I think I got third. So I, I think I still won the overall, I believe, no, maybe Joel beat me, but Joel was my biggest competition, okay. but Joel was also two years younger with me. And when you're 14, two to three years is a, you know, a big difference. So, I had a little bit of the upper hand, but that also led since we did so well that year and we won the title and it was, we did what we were supposed to. We won it. We wanted, we would have won it early, but considering we missed, like we did, I think they went to uh, Southwick that year, which would have been awesome track to ever participate in. We didn't get to go uh, just too far from Texas. So we, we won it with missing a few races and stuff like that. And so the next year we have the option to either start getting ready for big bikes or uh, race 90 mods again. And we chose the to start getting ready for big bikes and get off 90 mod. And 
that's whenever we started building the 250 when we decided that. So between my 90 mod championship and me getting what I would consider the first, you know, uh, not to offend anybody, first correctly built 250 mod, it was the first one in a JB chassis that JB built. Uh, that, that transition, I rode my dad's 426 until we got the 90 mod or the 250 mod, I should say, sorry. There was no class for at a national, so you couldn't race. I couldn't race nationals, so we took the year off nationals, and I raced local. So I would race like A class, uh, like A class open, whatever pro am. I would ride whatever I could, and at local races, like local night races, not TQA events, I would ride pro on this 250, and ultimately that. I was doing that even on my 90 mod because at some of these night races that we, I mean, we raced every weekend. Like there was no weekends off. We raced and that, it was just cause it was fun. Like the old man took me as much as he could. And we would race a night race if there wasn't a TQA. And sometimes if there was a TQA as the, there, we would race a night race and a TQA, but the nice races, there's two classes. There's novice and pro and novice wasn't the class for me once I was on my 90 mod and stuff. So I'd ride pro with everybody else to learn. My, me and my old man never had the, uh, and as we get a little further into this, we never had the inkling of uh, not progressing. We never stayed in a class to win it. It was always move and progress, which is funny because we never had this. It was a dream to become pro, but it wasn't like a realistic goal or even like, oh, we're going to go pro. It was just keep progressing to see what we get. But to keep progressing, you had to ride faster classes. So we, uh, we'd always ride pro at locals, which then being 15, I race all these local races and so we raced the 250 for half the year, but it wasn't quite to the level the 250s are now. And it was a little underpowered against the 450 guys. So it, we ended up getting on a 450 at the end of that year. And we talked to Smitty at the end of the year at a local TT race that I was running and asked him, was like, so what class can we go to? We would like to ride B. We feel like that's where we belong, but we have raced pro. And he goes, well, if somebody brings me a sheet and says, you ran pro, you have to go A-class. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, but I, we're going to pretend this conversation never happened, and we'll leave it up to you. But if somebody protests you, you know how I got to handle it. And so that's when we decided to go A in our, you know, 16-year-old or big bike debut. Okay. I feel like, I feel like we don't hear about that. It's still like – correct to this day but we don't hear about that that much because same thing happened to me um i remember when i was racing like the the blast like the blaster 300ex class and jeffrey and i and neil mcgrath and all those guys at the time were racing 450s too locally and they could have protested every one of us and somebody in like sixth or seventh place could have won the championship but being that we had this little agreement that since we're all doing it, as long as nobody protests each other, we'll be good. And I feel like you don't hear about that as much as you did back then. Um, and maybe because of the array of classes and there's two fifties and all this stuff, maybe that's why, but it was a totally different beast uh, back then. So it's always fun to hear about kind of those stories and, uh, and, and stuff like that. But for you, um, that kind of makes sense because it seemed like you were in the A classes and the pro-am classes, those fast classes right away. Um, so, so what was that first year like in the, in the A classes at nationals? Man, it was intense. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't remember this perfectly, but our first race would have been 
in California at Glen Helen. Okay. And I think I ended up with a third, surprisingly, another third in my career. Um, it, uh, <laughs> we, we left there with a third and we didn't have, I don't think we had many, like, we didn't, we didn't know what our expectations were even really were. Go in there, do our best. I think we'd have been happy with the top five, hoping to be in the top 10. Now, a lot of guys didn't travel that far out, but we got picked up by Lost Creek Cycles. And so I was on, and I mean, I always loved their bikes. So they were so unique. White plastic, yellow frame, blue A-arms, man. You, you could see a Lost Creek bike from 10 miles away. They were and iconic. Man, that, they were iconic you know, back it, then. Yes, and I was such an honor to be a part of that. So in 06, on my big bike debut, I'm on that. And I remember I get third in that moto and Kevin Muma comes up to me, owner of Lost Creek. And I don't remember exact words, but he said, you did good today. And like, I kind of got lucky. I think some people tangled up for me to even get third. And, but evidently he saw something, he liked it. And that, that whole year was good. But I guess the part that most people find crazy is, I mean, I'm not a tall gentleman, but I'm not that short is at the time I was like five, two, five, four, 16 years old. I had raised foot pegs on my bike. Like we would take the Rath foot pegs, cut the, like cut the teeth off them and then weld another set to the top of them. So I had double stacked foot pegs for my pegs to get me a little <laughs> higher off the seat. Uh, oh my gosh. It, it, that it, so that was like how my bike was set up and we had Olin shocks, which are amazing shocks. The technology in Olin's and it's cool. Cause I can say it now and not that Fox aren't the, I love Fox. They were with me so long the technology in Olin's is ahead of everybody else. Like nobody else has that technology. Not that we can tune that technology because they're almost too advanced. And uh, my career, I went on and off the Olin's a couple times, but the technology in those shocks is if you have the right guys working on them, them shocks are amazing. So we had some really good stuff with Olin's uh, and we had the bikes working pretty good, but that, that year working with Kevin and all that, it, I think we had the right people in our corners for me to succeed. I don't know exactly where I finished up that year. Okay. Uh, I think it'd be around third or something like that overall for the season. I think I ran a class in 16 to 24. Okay. And I believe that was the year WPSA started. Yep. And when that All started, six. we switched. Yep. So we switched to it when it did. And I think we still ran some nationals. We kind of did both. And that was a big deal. So in 06, we, I think we finished up. It ended up WPSA is what we focused on, but I think we did most of the nationals too. And I know we did like third in A class and third in 16 and 24, somewhere in that general area. Okay. And then the next year we focused solely on WPSA. Like it, it was the series to be in. And I, the series, of, you know, the ATMX series right now is a great series. Uh, but WPSA took it to another level and they made ATVMX step up too. I'm not ashamed to say that. Uh, you know, and 18 next people will probably be like, yeah, they didn't last. I don't know why they didn't last, but that series is what our sport needed. The, that series at the time was the, was the cat's ass. And I feel like you, you being, and I remember this vividly, you would have been an A-class in Pro-Am, I think at the time. And those classes were so stacked. And there's you. And like you said, you looked like a 90 mod rider on, on a big bike. Um, and I just remember you're one of the guys from that era, that, that 
stands out to me the very most because um, those classes were so stacked and there's you, you're only, you're only a couple years removed from being on a 90 mod and you're right at the front of these big, you know, big 450 classes, the top classes that aren't pro um, that had to be, uh, had to be pretty amazing uh, for you. And like you said, that series was incredible to, to begin with. So I'm fortunate to have been, uh, you know, during, you know, on during running that series during that era as well. It was pretty cool. No, for sure. And the, the, the 07, we focused solely on that. And that's when I went a and pro-am yep. and it's something that I, think is the reason those classes were so stacked is because WVSA's class structure is I think something we're missing now uh there was only one there was one eight yeah yeah you you if you want to run two classes you either ran pro am and a if you were at that skill level or you ran your skill level and your age so like the first year I ran a in 16 to 24 the second year I ran a in pro am and that was your you could only run two classes. Like there was nothing else. It was, as far as I remember, it was an open class. It was a, and that, and that was it. So where nationals had three, a classes, if not four at times, this, a, this series had one. So everybody was in it. That second year I battled with Brandon Smith for the a class championship. We got caught cheating at the final round that took us out of the championship, which I say cheating because, Ultimately, in the rule books, we were, but we weren't really sure, and we didn't really have an option. As the last round, my A-class moto, my bike blew up in, and then my pro-am moto was heat was shortly after, and then shortly after that was the LCQs. So we just rode my spare bike, and we kind of thought since we hadn't qualified, we could switch to the other bike in the LCQ, but we weren't about to go ask to double-check because we really didn't have time to switch motors okay we didn't have a spare motor we had a spare bike but with running pro-am we didn't have time to switch and they they had put in different wristbands on each of my tech bikes and they caught me and brandon won that championship and i think it was who be two or i had to beat him by a couple positions he he well deserved that championship even with me even if i would have raced it would have been still a battle between us and he i think he had the upper hand so i would have came out second and then i think i got third in the pro-am class that year behind Cody Miller and Greg G and both those guys went to pro. So it was, it was kind of a battle of, uh, I was never the fastest and shined a lot, but it just kind of worked out with consistency at the end of the year is I ended up being there. And I remember the, I think that last round that year, I ended up getting third in that moto. And it was pretty cool because those two guys weren't too far ahead of me. And it was like, all right, and that was probably the first time after running pro-am all year that I felt like I was actually a pro-am rider. Okay. Well, and back then too, um, I know they, as we shift then to the ATV motocross series and stuff that came after that, but um, they didn't want pro-am guys to feel like, like pros or like lights riders or whatever at the time. But that's how, you, that's how you felt. I'm assuming at that time, cause even years to come, I felt that way in the early days of my pro-am career, they made it a pretty big deal. And, and as a kid, um, cause I'm a, a few years younger than you, I looked at you guys like you were pros, you know, you and Cody Miller, like you said, Greg G, those were big, 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 
personalities, big guys at the time. And I viewed you in that same way. So um, to hear you feel like you hear you say you felt like, you know, like you were a big pro-am rider. That's uh, that's, that's pretty cool. That was a big deal back then. Yeah, man, the pro the pro-am classes were gnarly. And I guess with that being said, there was the WPSA definitely did not want the pro-am class to be a, a top tier class. On the other hand though, the ATV MX did. So that's where the program, I think, got a lot of prestige because okay. the program class would run with the pros on Saturday or Sunday, whichever way it was and what year. But the program would run like a very similar program, like the program production would. So, which is great at the time because going into the next year in 08, which is my program only year, uh, Yamaha supported me the year before. Now this year they picked me up a lot more. Uh, we had a, it was basically my first year as a, as far as ATV Mexico as a factory Yamaha rider. I wasn't getting paid yet, but they had a they had a semi and everything like that in 2008, and that was my pro am year. And I was underneath the semi with Pat Brown, and Yamaha still supported the ATV MX series over WPSA, which was a blessing in disguise because if they didn't pick me up as hard as they did, we would have focused solely on WPSA not ATV MX, which three rounds into the ATV MX series, WSA announced that they folded. So a lot of riders didn't get to run the whole series that year. Uh, I'd say a lot got lucky. There was a few that didn't because a lot of them went to the first ATV MX rounds just as warm-ups sure. for WPSA, but they ended up working out. But that year we went in there and I got Yamaha picked me up and you say that like, I felt like I was a top program rider, but I still didn't feel like going into that season. I trained like I wanted to win, but I don't know if I ever felt like it was my title to lose or something like that. Where if I look back now with my results in previous years, it should have been my title to lose, but there was guys in that class that I was scared of. Like uh, Clay Holmes being one, he had always been a top program rider the year before uh, at the, he stayed ATV MX. Uh, I'm trying to think everybody else that was in okay, that class. Okay. I got, I got, a, I got a list for you. I got a list for you because yep. that year specifically was so ridiculously stacked in pro-am. So this is who we got. Obviously you go on to win that title. Then Nick Denoble, Cody Gibson, Josh Williams, Bobby Ross, Mitch Reynolds, Clay Holmes, Aaron Meyer, Cody Grant, Devin Himes, Travis Moore, Jacob Hakala, Mark Kendall, Adam Clark, Casey Martin, Chase Snap, Matt White, Jeremy Warnia. And I'm only picking out the names that we know now, but there was still a bunch of names that I remember from back then that were a big deal. So the dudes that you beat that season were absolutely ridiculous. So I don't I mean, yes, like the guys that beat you the year prior at WPSA and stuff, like those guys were gone, the Cody Millers, the Greg G's, but look at all those guys. I don't, I don't uh, question you for feeling like, hey, I don't, I don't know if this is my title to lose yet because I don't think you could come up with a more stacked pro-am class. No, that year was gnarly stacked, and the people that have came out of that, everybody thinks that each year the pro-am stacked more and more, and Maybe there was more speed in some years, but that year was gnarly. And I remember Alabama was our first round, and there was four heats. There was like 69 entries in the Pro-Am class or something stupid. Like it was – I think 
you had to get top four, top four in your heat to qualify to the main. I like remember to go straight from the heat to the main. I remember some of it those years, even in the years that followed. Yes, there were legitimately where you had to finish top four. So 16 people were entered and then they took four from the LCQ. And if you weren't around yep. back then, if you weren't around back then, you'd, you wouldn't even believe it. But it was ridiculous. Yeah. And that year, that first round, and like, like as we all talked about, I was nervous. I spent the whole winter. Like I said, looking back on this stuff, I had an advantage and I should have been a lot more confident than I was. But I spent the whole winter in Florida with Chad uh, training. We had done a few years together, but this, or we had trained together before, but this is our first year of like, we, we went full in with him. And I don't even realize how big a mentor he was until I look back on it. But we spent the whole winter at Tommy Cantillo's house in Florida training and getting ready. My dad sent me there in the motorhome and I lived there and, you know, Chad took me under his wing and if Chad said jump, I said how high. And I should have been a lot more confident coming there, but we ended up winning that first round and I couldn't believe it coming off. And if I'm not mistaken, Mitch had came and trained with me at some point and Mitch got second okay. and in that first round and me and Mitch are typing. Mitch is in my wedding. We, we traveled together before that, after that. And I think we went one, two in that first race. Oh, wow. And we came off the track so stoked. And I could be wrong on that. I know I won, and I'm pretty sure Mitch got second. And it was, like, it was huge. And I didn't win another race the rest of the season until the last round. Okay. We were steadily on the box. Uh, Denoble was always fast. Gibson was unbelievable speed. But he was either first or last. And, and he threw so many races away, uh, which is why everybody loves him so much. But it, it was his – it was what made him great. It's also what hurt him from being great was the fact that it, he just couldn't, he couldn't stay consistent. He was all or nothing and his speed was awesome, but man, it was, as far as the championship, he wasn't in it because he had too many wrecks where it went the last round, Denoble still had a shot. And then after the first moto, I was able to wrap it up going into the second moto. But that year it was the amount of people like that list that you had was gnarly and it scared me. And, just consistency and i i wasn't the fastest guy i don't know if i was the fastest guy any weekend maybe loretta's at the last round <clears throat> but man it it was a long series and a lot of consistency and we put ourselves in good positions and i i know myself i had to make a lot of passes to get those positions but it was always be consistent and a lot of podiums I'm sure that that's one of those seasons that uh, you hold in the highest regard is one of your, one of your best racing years, best racing memories. Um, was there any doubt then that you were going to go pro or uh, was that the for sure next move for you? Cause you're always wanting to progress. Like you said. So that's where it gets interesting. And I guess one memory I have from that season, that I want to kind of jump back on is yeah, yeah. I remember being consistent all season. And then some reason at the last round after the first moto and Donnie Luce was there from Yamaha and he came up to me because we wrapped it up. And I said, awesome. I'm going to go win this now. Like I had no doubt in my mind that the second moto I was going to go win just because there was no more stress. Sure. Like I didn't have to be consistent to wrap this title up. It was, I was going to go out there. I was going to let it all hang out. And, and it was cool that I did it. I remember Denoble pushed me almost the whole moto, but I, I finally went out and won the moto. And it, that was cool because the confidence I had going into that moto was unreal. Like, I knew going to the line after I had the title, I'm going to win this moto. But 
with your question about going pro is in mine and my dad's eyes, the next step was pro. No okay. doubt. That's what we should do. Yamaha did not want me to go pro. Paul Turner, uh, which was basically like a Yamaha rep because he was the paid mechanic. He, he prepped my bikes before the races and everything. And he was kind of the correspondent. He didn't want me to go pro. They wanted me to stay and defend my title. They wanted me to run the number one plate and all that, because back then you couldn't do both. Otherwise that's what we would have done. Right. You, that point it was, you were either pro or you were pro am. There was no, you get your feet wet. And also at that point you can't go pro and then go back to pro am. It was once you went, you were in. So and it also we, uh, and it and it also wasn't like there was ten or fifteen pros either. There was there was no, you had to qualify qualifying in. every weekend. Yeah. yeah, and so they were. It was uh, it was nerve wracking, and and we made the decision so that they had the pro invitational at Steel City going on in '08, and okay. they did the year before. Yep. And we wanted to, me and my dad wanted to go there and race it. Like we wanted to go pro, but. Every, Yamaha was so hard on us, and it was only like two weeks after the Loretta's was that race. It, it might have been even closer than that. Okay. And we looked at it, and Yamaha is still pushing us to say no, and they go, no, stay, stay, stay pro-am, stay pro-am. But if I went pro there, then I had to go pro the next season. There was, there was no jumping back down. Okay. So we decided not to race the Invitational. And I wish we would have because shortly after that, me and my dad, I remember sitting at the kitchen table and going, we have always progressed. We always have. And I'm, I think it was me telling him this. So we've always done this. Let's take the next step. Let's go pro. That's, that's where we're at. Our goal is not to be pro-am. It's, it's to be pro. And we did. And we called Yamaha. And they said, okay, like, we support you. Like, but they, they still want us to go pro-am, but they respected our decision. Okay. So, then, so at the time, you wouldn't, have, <laughs> you wouldn't have known this. But looking back now – we see you hit the ground running when you go pro, right? So in the back of your mind, was that some of the reason why? Like you needed to prove the, the decision to be correct or take me through that? Because like I said, we know now you go out at the, I'm going to ask you specifically about that, that first round there, but uh, take, me through, take me through your thinking there heading into that, that first race as a pro. First race, I'm nervous I'll get out because no point in my career – other than that, probably that last round, did I ever feel like I was the fastest guy? I always felt through A class, through Pro AM, and even now into Pro, is that I'm I'm not the best rider. I'm everybody's better than me. I've got to prove myself. But I look up to these guys. I something that I wish I would have had more confidence in. Okay. And looking back at my results, I'm sure other people feared me as I feared them. But at the time, I didn't know that. I was I was fearful. I was afraid of these guys coming into that first race, we come off the track and this story, I haven't told much and it, and it'll get Paul Turner pretty good. And he's a huge help to my career. So this is nothing harsh against him, but we come off the track at Glen Helen in that first race or not even the first race, first qualifier. And Jody Bateman's my mechanic. My dad's my mechanic. They're kind of tag team in my bike. And they go, Paul from the side goes, man, you're running about, I don't remember. It was like outside the top 10 or something. It wasn't good. Okay. And he goes, you're a little off and you pick up a few seconds. You're going to do fine. And he was trying to pump me up and, and, and be supportive. And then the times came in and I, whatever the time was that he said, I was not happy with. I was like, I think he said I was like four seconds off the pace or something. And I'm like four seconds a lap. Like I'm done. Like, this is bad. Meanwhile, nowadays me being four seconds off, Joel is about freaking normal. <laughs> um, 
But at the time, I'm like, four seconds. That's horrible. I can't do this. And like, not, but like, and I'm upset. I pull my dad aside. I said, Dad, he said I'm this far off. Like, did we make a mistake? Like, what do we do wrong? And the times come out, and I'm sitting fourth fastest, only a couple seconds off. If that, like, I don't remember the, yeah, but I'm sitting fourth. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, yes. Like, it was this huge sigh of relief. Like, okay. And okay. that was, I remember that story today because I told my dad and my dad told Jody and they're like, no, you looked good. You looked good. I don't, I don't know what the times were. Paul knows the times better than us. And then the sheet came out and, oh, it was the biggest sigh of relief. And, and like I said, it's nothing against Paul. Paul was just, I think, trying to prep me and, you know, make sure that I was ready for it. And I just, evidently I, I got that lap in and it, it did good. So uh, it was that story. Like, I remember, like, tearing up after that first qualifier. Like, I'm that far off. And it ended up being, you know, perfectly fine. Right. And then the, the day went great. You know, from there on, I think it was, like, what, 9-4 four for fourth, which is a awesome pair of numbers to get a fourth place in. But it – uh, yeah, at the end of that weekend, the I think there was some DNFs and stuff like that, and our program was decently solid. And it worked out great. And I don't think it had anything to do with me wanting to prove it as far as like, I'm right, y'all wrong. It's more like, did just don't prove them right. Like prove, prove, just make sure that you know you're supposed to be here. And, and it was, I guess with me always being fearful, it was always about just going out there and giving it everything I had every second. And all the way through my career is that way. Anytime I had confidence and all the, like I'm talking all the way is, and it was until me and Brandy were a few years in dating, so that's only a few years ago, that I realized that I don't do good on confidence. Because if I go into a track and say, I'm going to go win this weekend, and I have all this confidence, I had a great week, I do horrible. I do better as an underdog and not having expectations and just going out there and putting my head down than I ever have done, like, with confidence, which it, my whole career has been that way, so I don't know why it would change when I was pro. But so many people will tell you, it was like, and maybe it's something that I needed to work on, but you need to have confidence. You need to say you're going to go win. And when I said I was going to go win, those were my worst weekends. Oh, that's so funny because <laughs> it's so opposite of what you would typically think, right? But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's incredible to hear some of those behind-the-scenes stories. I think your, your 9-4 or whatever it was that ended up being fourth overall is a little bit of a testament to how stacked those classes were because there was able for that, you know, that all that uh, – that, you know, flux, I guess, and results or whatever, because there were so many good guys that you would see some top C Turby results at times. But uh, yeah, you, you proved too that it wasn't a fluke because you go out and do it again at the, at, at round two, um, your second race as a pro. And then, uh, you know, overall that whole season, you know, you end up being top 10 in points, which I think is a big feat as a rookie, especially in those classes back then. And you were able to be named, you know, rookie of the year that year and all those things. So um, again, it, like you're four or five years removed from being on a 90 mod and you're making all these waves in the, in the pro class at the very top level. Um, it had to feel like all your, your dreams, you know, as a little boy or whatever were coming true. So, um, very, very impressive rookie season, especially back then, because you didn't see that back then, right? Like everybody was so established. People didn't just come in and make a, make waves as rookies. Yeah, I was, I was stoked on it. Uh, the season after the first two rounds died off and I don't remember those much, but I remember the second round, first round, we got fourth, everybody's stoked on it. 
the second round, I had to pass my way two fourth. And okay. I remember passing like Lawson and I pulled a veteran move on Harold Goodman. Like these are the memories that stick out in my head. So I, I'm going to share okay. them a little bit. Yeah. Cause I came up on Goodman and Harold's a man, but I got behind him and Harold was at the end of his career. And I'm obviously just starting mine. And I come up behind him and I hold the clutch in, I pin it. And then I yell, Woo, get out of the way. And dude, he moved out of the way. He, he, he went straight right. And I went straight by him. Like, it was the craziest thing. And, and Harold, I think, was out there for fun and put ants in. And he didn't care who it was, but he really, I think he figured out if whoever was yelling at him, uh, they wanted to go by him bad. And, yeah. and did I? And I had to work my way up there. And I think those first few rounds, a few people had some kinks and some DNF. So that helped with my results. Um, but some of the guys I passed and some of the people that I looked up to that I was able to pass and get that second one was like a, I think it was like 4 4 or 5 4 or something like that. It yep. was a lot more consistent of a result. So I was happy, really happy with that. And then the rest of the season went on, and, and that, that rookie season was good. And I guess the other memory I have from that season was Loretta's that year was so hot. And maybe just in the shape that I was ever in after that. But I remember starting the second moto, and I'm, I'm somewhere wherever I got to be to get 10th overall for the season. And Upperman – let's just say he's in eighth, Cody Miller's in ninth, and I'm in tenth. Or maybe Cody was behind me. Cody's in front, maybe Upperman was behind me. Okay. But whichever order it was, is that the entire moto, I remember at one point, like, we all started off fast, but in the moto, I'm, like, not pinning it down straightaways. But I'm not catching Cody in front of me. Upperman is not catching me behind me. And at that point, I realized that nobody is going fast. We are all tongue in our sprockets, dragging around this track. And I, it was just the craziest thing because I was like, I'm going so slow. I can't, I can't go any faster. Like, I can't pin it down the straightaway. The track's too rough. I'm too hot. I'm going to fall off. And I realized the guy in front of me is in just as much pain and the guy behind me is in just as much pain that we are all just like, just finish. Like, right. finish this moto. And it was the, that feeling was really wild to – be in a race and being in that long of a race that you'll never be in that long of a race until you go pro because it's you a short a four lap motor you can't realize something like that that we were all just in survival mode and it was funny that that memory stands out to me which is nothing too i guess it's nothing like cool or big story because it's not like it was a great result but it the names that were around me were huge in my book oh for sure uh, people yeah. i looked up to and but for us all to be going so slow. I mean, like our lap times had to be 10 seconds off our normal lap time at this point. And, but everybody's dropped and it was just, it was wild to see. Well, and that's not, not something that we hear from, from you very often. We know you so much as a, as an iron man or whatever, right? Like you're, you're just uh, nose to the grindstone. You're a, you're a grinder. You're one of the dudes that's just as fast at the beginning as the end type of thing. So it's funny to hear those uh, memories from the early days of your racing. And it's funny to hear about the yelling thing, because that's not something I even like knew about until I got to the pro class. And then you got people yelling at you. And I mean, especially like as a young pro now you're, you're doing it inverse you're doing it to a guy like Harold Goodman but I remember getting yelled at like when I'm a young pro or whatever and like 
get I'm I'm right out of the way. I might as well pulled right off because <laughs> because as a young kid you feel like 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 you're you're talking about your heroes. I'm racing with with my heroes, guys like you and and Chad and John and whoever. And uh like the last thing I want to do is get in the way. Like that that was my mindset. So um that the yelling thing is is funny to hear about. Yeah, Chad yelled like so it going into 2009 we trained in houston and that's the first year that chad really like the year before we trained together and i would do my mows and he would do his but we didn't really do them together i remember at points we were pit boarding for each other okay. um but th that year we actually started doing our motos together and pushing and every time chad caught me at splendor he would do it in two corners he would yell at me and he'd rev his bike and i would blow the berm every time and that's where i learned it from he would do to me easily. like just come up behind me pull his clutch in yell and then he'd even have to pass me i would blow the corner so far out that he would hit his line and, and I never even messed him up and i'm like oh so i i learned that from him which is funny because okay. harold was down there at the same time because okay. we were all training at splendor in houston and man it he would do it to me every day. Like it, it cracked me up. And every day I would fall for it. Like, I don't know how long it took me before I figured out not to do it. <laughs> Nowadays on the stalkers, because we can hear each other and we motoed so much in these past couple of years together, our stalkers, we're yelling at each other all the time. It, but it's funny. Cause like, if you, if he yells at me now and same with the other way, is it makes us go slower. Cause we're going to screw with the other person. Instead, right. I would try to go faster back in the day when they yelled. Uh -huh. Now I know is when somebody yells at you, that means they, they can't get by you. So just keep running your lines. So now whenever he yells at me, I, I brake check him. Like, yep, yeah, yeah, I guess we're going to stop right here now because uh, you yelled at me. I, you said stop. So I, that's why I heard. Oh, so my gosh. That's funny. It, oh, it's, it's great. And I guess before I forget is I'd like to give a shout out to Chad is uh, there was years that I was on his team and, and I got to the point where I got confident and I wanted to beat him bad. And I still to the very end, I wanted to beat him. But I definitely at several different points in my career, I would never have been where I was without his help. Uh, he, he was a big mentor to me and became a friend and then a competitor. And meanwhile, still being a competitor, still being a friend. Uh, it, it was hard. And there, there was hard times we had, especially after I left his team and then missed the being on his team, which if we can definitely get into, uh, it, was, it was a big change point in my career. But I, like I said, I want to give him a shout out for all the mentoring he did because he – he took me under his wing and he didn't have to. And I'm not exactly sure why. Obviously now the friendship we have is, is amazing, but it was a, uh, he, he didn't have to, it, it, he just did it. I don't know why. I don't know if he wanted a training partner. I, you'd have to ask him, but he, uh, he definitely took me under his wing and man, he, uh, he, he mentored me very well and took me to that next step in multiple stages of my career. So big shout out to Weenan, you know, for that. But I, since we were on that and him pushing around the track, it's like the perfect time to say it because he was doing that stuff just just to push me, and I'm sure it helped him some in some ways. But man, he he was uh he was hard on me. But like I said, I think the biggest thing for him was is if he said jump, I said how high, and I'm sure I would complain about it, but I would do it. Oh, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> Obviously he's a, uh, such a great dude. So uh, to have him in your corner, such a, such a big thing. Um, and so much of your career, Thomas was 
just constantly building and getting better and better. And you got, you know, your first podiums in your sophomore season as a pro, you went, you know, from 10th in points that rookie season in 09 to sixth in points that next year. And then third, um, then in, in your third year, you won your first, your first pro moto, which I, I believe was at Redbud in 2011. So take me through, um, some, what, it, what it's like, what, what are the emotions like when you achieve some of those monumental goals, because you were making pretty big improvements from year to year, you know, when you get on the podium, the first time, when you get a win for the first time, take me through like what does that feel like? Cause a, a guy like me and 99.9% .9 of the people that are listening right now uh, have never, never felt that and never will feel that feeling. Uh, the big memory for me and on that feeling is it, it's, it's amazing. It would be my first podium. Uh, it was a crazy week, but uh, a lot of people know Todd Swaggart. He was my man friend uh, and he did the pit board for me and I think from like 2010 to 2012 or so uh, intermixed with some other guys, but he was my man friend. He traveled with me and, and took care of me because I was young traveling by myself. So he went with me, my dad arranged it. And that way I could go on the road basically myself, but Todd traveled with me. And I remember very specifically is it was Birch Creek. I don't remember the first moto, but the second moto Chad's in third Wimmer and Creamer out front on the Suzuki's. And I'm catching Chad, and I get the pit board that says, you're faster. And from that second on, I knew that I could catch Chad and pass him. And I, for some reason, that you're faster pit board gave me all the confidence I needed to go track down Chad and pass him. And, I, and that was probably the coolest thing is I had to pass Chad for my first podium. If I didn't pass him, no podium. And that was – that feeling was unreal. Uh, I, it, it, it was amazing. The whole situation leading up to it was super cool. I was training with Chad, and then I actually – it's one of the few races I've ever flown to because Todd took the truck and trailer to the race. So that way I could stay and train an extra day and didn't have to drive. So I flew with Chad because Chad was on factory Cowie at the time. Or no, Can-Am, sorry. And uh, so we flew to the race. And I showed up Friday night. Like, I wasn't there for Friday practice. We showed up Friday night, and we raced Saturday. Like, it was – it was as factory as you get, and that was my first podium. So that was that whole week was cool. But I remember having to pass Chad to get it, and I don't actually remember the pass, but I remember the pit board that gave me the confidence for it. And that that feeling was amazing. It that was something, and I think we've talked about it before. Is when I talked about retiring, is that winning races and stuff was always a dream, but being a top pro and being a top pro meant being on the podium was my young dream and goal. And that was kind of the first time I achieved that. And that was super cool because that was, I had always seen people up on the podium and honestly, the winner is cool. And the winner is what I wanted to be. But when you're young, I didn't really recognize the difference between first, second, and third, especially in those days. Cause they would always, it wasn't like a steady first and second or a first place guy. It was always mixed up. So if you were first, second, or third, you were the top guy that weekend or top guys. And so that was the first time I got it. And man, that feeling was irreplaceable. And then moving on forward to that first win or moto win, I remember battling John for it and I had to pass him to get the first moto. I got the moto one win and I was stoked. And the moto two win, if anybody knows racing John Italy, it, 
is he's not your friend on the track. There, there is no doubt about it. He's one of the hardest racers. And I had several passes on him, but he used his experience being a veteran. I remember at Redbud coming down before Loraco's Leap, it was rutted in that corner, and the corner kind of used to sweep around. It wasn't like the hard turn at the bottom like it is now. Yep. And it swept in there, so it run. And he, I had this outside line that I was going to go by him on. He came out of his rut and across three ruts to hit me off the track. I'm like, I don't even know how he did it without wrecking. But not only did he do it without wrecking, he did it enough to knock me off the track and save his position and ended up winning. And I, I felt like that was a win that I should have had. I was, the, I was the fastest guy on the track that day. John won, but it was one of the few days I've ever been the fastest guy on the track. And, and by the way, it was not a mud race. It was completely dry. Uh-huh. Um, but we had my shocks working so good. I was working riding for Bill Balance, and we were on Olin's at the time. And he was at that race. He made a few adjustments. And I could go so much faster in the rollers than anybody else. And that was so cool. But after that race, and it's intermittent that time, it was to the point where I kind of leveled off for a few years. And I had a, I'd get a podium here and there. And things that kind of just leveled off. And we were kind of to the point like, is it time to hang it up? Like, we're not, we're not really progressing like you had talked about. From that, from 2011, like in 2011, but 2010, the beginning of the year was really rough. We had a whole bunch of DNFs and it was just, things didn't seem like they were progressing. And after that race, I turned to my dad and Bill and said, I want to do this again. I want to go after a win. I can do this. And that kept me going. And that was a super cool moment because that moto win gave me a lot of, uh, I guess a lot of strength and a lot of courage uh, to keep going. And, you know, and obviously I think I made the right choice at that point, but it was super cool. And man, like I said, it was one of the few days I was the fastest guy on the track. And that was, it was an awesome battle. I, I don't know if there's a video of that somewhere, but I know me and John, both motos were duking it out the entire time. So that, that was a super cool race. I'm glad you brought that one up. We'll get right back to the show, but now a word from our sponsors. And thank you for listening to these ads. Without these great companies, none of this would be possible. Show your support for the people who support us. Before Digging Deep was even a reality, back when it was just an idea, CST Tires already believed in us, which is fitting because no one believes in their tires more than I do. Our title sponsor, CST Tires, and their Pulse MXR tires continue to hook every rider strong enough and willing to grab a handful of throttle after mounting them on their ride. Used by Thomas Brown to win races and clinch a third straight Quad Cross of Nations title, Nick Janusa when he grabbed his first career pro-class podium, and myself, Cody Jansen, as I rode my Pulse MXR fronts and white label soft compound rears to -to back-to-back national championships in the Junior 25 Plus class. The Pulse MXR tire, available in soft and standard compounds, offers the highest level of traction, most predictable cornering, and superior wear characteristics when compared to the competition. Visit csttires.com to join the CST takeover today or prepare to be beat by someone who did. CST Tires, where passion meets the ground. Anybody that I've gotten to try them, I've heard nothing but positive things back. 
We're proud to be Team Blue Crew here at the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. Why choose Yamaha? Look no further than Chad Wienan's seven championships in the past nine seasons aboard his Yamaha YFZ 450R. Not to mention Yamaha is the leading OEM supporter of ATV racing and their support of this podcast proves it. For the 2020 ATVMX season, Yamaha's Blue Crew Racer Support Program will offer payout and prize opportunities, including a chance to win a brand new YFZ 450R. For more information, head to YamahaOutdoors.com and follow them on social media at Yamaha Outdoors today. All hail Blue Crew, the number one OEM supporter of ATV racing. For over 150 years, Valvoline has led the charge by being dedicated to constant improvement and innovation across all disciplines of racing. Valvoline has sponsored some of the greatest names in motorsports, and for the better part of a decade, I've been fortunate enough to be part of the historically great Team Valvoline. From my commuting vehicles to small engines, race quads, and everything in between, I trust nothing but Valvoline in all of my equipment. I've experienced increased function and durability as well as a longer life expectancy thanks to Valvoline's array of products and lubricants. Since 1866, Valvoline has been focused on bettering your experience, whether on road, on track, and everywhere in between. Upgrade to Valvoline today and check them out at Valvoline.com. SSI decals is a name synonymous with ATV racing, synonymous with big time success, and absolutely synonymous with the best looking decals around. An offshoot of their parent company that was established in 1947, SSI first took shape from owner Ian Harris's passion for ATVs. With what started as just making numbers and decals for riders like Chad Wienan, the company quickly took off. And today you couldn't imagine ATV motocross without SSI decals. The graphics maker and designer now supports all the top teams in ATV motocross, as well as teams and riders racing GNCC, Work Series, Pro Motocross and Supercross, Canadian Pro Motocross, Short Course Off-Road Trucks, UTVs, Snowcross, and, oh yeah, six-time NHRA world champion Clay Milliken. No project is too big or too small for SSI decals, making your identity stick with championship-level graphics. Head over to SSIDecals.com today and then maybe call the doctor because things are about to get sick. The Digging Deep ATVMX podcast is brought to you in part by DID Racing Chain and their 520 ATV2 chain. This patented X-ring chain boasts a steel alloy construction for reduced weight, increased strength, and a longer overall chain life, making it the optimal ATV racing chain. Pick up an ATV2 chain today at your local dealer or wherever DID chains are sold. Don't forget about their motocross, off-road, and street bike chains as well. Wherever you go, go with DID. Hello listeners, this is Chad Wienan, AMA ATV Pro National Champion, an owner of Wienan Motorsports and proud partner of Digging Deep ATV MX Podcast. The two of us share a strong passion for ATV MX. Owning my own team gives us the ability to handpick the best products on the market for our racing program. With consistent testing, research, and development, we are confident that when choosing the products we believe in, our customers will be satisfied in building their own race program as well. We race what we sell. With brands like Fox Shocks, Walsh Racecraft, SSI Decals, Wrath Racing, and Henson Racing, just to mention a few, go to check out WeenanMortarsports.com to see the full lineup. Enter discount promo code DIGDEEP at checkout. Enough talking already. Get out and get some fresh air and go ride. Hope to see you at the track soon. We are proud to be partnered with Numira Technologies. Since 2001, Numira has led the charge in the ATV and side-by-side market, covering more applications than anyone else in the industry. 
Namira's advanced piston technology uses a NASA-exclusive aluminum alloy that helps to reduce expansion rates, that allows for tighter tolerances, and leads to higher overall engine performance for your machine. For more information about Namira's wide offerings of pistons, rings, gaskets, and industry-leading top-end repair kits, visit your local dealer or online at www.namira.com. Namira Technologies, pistons with an attitude. We are pleased to be partnered with Bronco ATV and UTV Components. Bronco has been an industry leader in replacement hard parts and accessories for all makes and models for over 15 years. With a catalog that includes a full line of electrical components, engine internals like rods and cylinders, all the way down to suspension parts and bearing kits. Bronco is your hard part source for whatever you need for whatever you ride. Available exclusively through distributors around the world. Visit your local dealer or online at broncoatv.com. The Digging Deep ATV MX podcast is also sponsored by DP Brakes, a longtime supporter of ATV racing and the world leader in centered brake technology. DP has been dominating the ATV world for decades by supporting the best four-wheeled racers on the planet. 2020 is no different, with an impressive lineup including Joel Hetrick and Phoenix Racing Honda Team, Cody Jansen and his Junior 25 Plus National Championship, Baldwin Motorsports, Nick Genuza, Wesley Wolf, and much more in the ATV motocross. In GNCC Racing, DP has 16 of the top 17 pros heading into 2020. This includes the champ Walker Fowler, Bryson Neal, Chris Borich, Cole Richardson, Jared McClure, Adam McGill, and more. These riders continue to appreciate the high performance and impressive durability that their DP brakes have to offer, products that ultimately help place them on the top of the podium. Available at www.dp-brakes.com. Purchase at your local dealer or message us for the contact info today. What are you waiting for? Join the best ATV riders in the world on DP Brakes. 4Works Carbon's innovative lightweight products include top-notch seat covers, carbon fiber, and plastic hoods, gas tank covers, exhaust shields, shock guards, and much more. Whether you have an ATV, UTV, or snowmobile, 4Works has the goodies that will improve your ride and make you salivate. We trust 4Works for increased function and a sexier look, and you should too. 4Works Carbon always working hard to bring high quality and innovative parts to the market. Check them out today at fwcarbon.com. Just like the sport of ATV motocross as a whole, our Digging Deep community is brought together by the love for racing that we all share. Our sport is compiled of many great people and leading that charge is the Launderville family at Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply. This racing owned family business is a steel and concrete supplier serving the entire United States. Launderville Steel is a full-service steel supplier of new and surplus steel, aluminum, and stainless steel products headlined by the 4130 chromoly tubing and plate used in the building of chassis for ATVs and UTVs, off-road truck racing, late-model dirt and pro tractor pulling series, drag racing, and more. Launderville Steel loves their racing just as much as we do, but don't forget about their concrete division as well. With over 25 years of experience, the Concrete Division can supply everything you need to complete your next business or personal project. Their central Midwest location enables LSE to easily serve customers across the United States. For a quote, additional info, answers to more of your questions, or to talk a little racing, head over to LaundervilleSteel.com or give them a call today. We are proud to be partnered with yet another racer-owned company. Thank you, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply. We are proud to be partnered with Gripped Gloves. Gripped is an ATV rider-owned and operated brand with a rider in mind and the goal of keeping costs affordable. The Michigan-based family operation recognizes riders' desire to showcase their identity. 
Owner David Payne's love for eccentric colorways and crazy patterns shows in his product something not often found in the work of big manufacturers. Here to push stereotypes and limitations, Grip's drive is to produce a glove with cool colors and designs that won't break the bank. With comfort and quality as key motivators, the Family Affair is constantly working on the next more innovative and improved glove. Get a grip on life, join the Gripped movement, because no one wants a bland glove. Check them out today at grippedgloves.com, that's G-R-I-P-T gloves.com, and use discount code DIGGINGDEEP10 to save at checkout. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? Americans have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. And if you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a licensed doctor in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. If the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com digging for your free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com digging for your free online visit and free two-day shipping. We are also proud of our partnership with Factory 43. Factory 43 was born in 2007, making Nerf bars for the Suzuki LTR, Honda TRX450R, and Yamaha's YFZ450. The brand soon added bumpers and grab bars and for years now has offered parts for all sport quads. The racer-owned company strives to offer a quality product that installs easy, looks good, and holds up over time. For 2020, Factory 43 is the aluminum parts choice of the Phoenix Racing Team, providing riders like Joel Hetrick, Jeffrey Rastrelli, Chris Borich, and Grayson Eller with the motocross and cross-country versions of their Evo Nerf Bar and MX-style front bumpers. Head over to factory43atv.com to see their full line of products. Thanks to Factory 43. We are excited to dig deep with the support of Bikes, Trikes, and Quads, LLC. Celebrating their 10-year anniversary this May, the company was started by former racers selling three-wheeler parts out of a barn in upstate New York. Through hard work, accompanied by offering great service to their customers, BTQ LLC now has over 40,000 new and used parts in stock. But they haven't forgotten their roots, still offering used OEM parts for three-wheelers, dirt bikes, ATVs, and side-by-sides. Parts are in stock and ready to ship with delivery within three days, including free shipping on orders over $50. Use discount code ATVMX at www.btqllc.com for $10 off orders of $50 or more. We're grateful to have Bikes, Trikes, and Quads LLC digging deep with us. Support our industry's grassroots businesses. Thank you, BTQ LLC. The Decker Training Facility at County Line MX is now open. This premier motocross training compound is located in beautiful Fountain, Florida, about a 40-minute drive from Panama City Beach. Their rapidly growing facility consists of a pro-level national track, amateur and youth tracks, woods loop, and mountain bike trails. Everything you need to train comfortably all winter long is available on site, including private cabins, a full gym, RV hookups, bathhouses, garage, dump station, wash bays, and more. 
With accommodations for riders across the country and around the world, the Decker Training Facility will help you become the best rider you can be. Sign up for a group training session or a private lesson with nationally ranked pros. Train tougher, smarter, and harder this off-season at one of Florida's most luxurious facilities. For more information, go to DeckerTrainingFacility.com or find them on Facebook and Instagram. Decker Training Facility, your elite training experience. We are proud to be partnered with Avocado Green Mattresses. We all know that sleep and rest are an important part of any athlete's routine. Avocado's line of natural mattresses and pillows provide exactly the support you need to ensure you perform at your best while doing the best for the planet. The Avocado Mattress offers zoned back support with an internal support unit, meaning whether you are recovering from a hard day of riding or relaxing on a Sunday morning, you will be experiencing next level comfort. You can rest in peace knowing the components in your mattress and pillow are non-toxic, natural, and sustainably sourced. And getting your avocado green mattress could not be any easier. They offer a 100-night sleep trial, free shipping and return pickups, and a 25-year warranty. And if that wasn't enough, rest assured knowing they have five-star ratings by verified customers, including some of the Digging Deep staff. Step up your sleep game by visiting avocadomattress.com. Thanks for listening, and remember to support our partners. Now back to the show. Like you said, I mean, um, you know, your 10th is your, in, a, in your rookie season and, and having some good finishes. That next season, um, you know, you're sixth in points, but you're getting some, some podiums. Then that turns into uh, a moto win there in, in 2011. In 2012 was the first year, I guess, of your professional career where you maybe didn't take uh, like a leap forward maybe like the, like the previous seasons. But then kind of that all changes because you springboard yourself in 2013 and that's the season you mentioned earlier you joined Wien and Motorsports you rode alongside Chad so tell me what that experience was like um, in 2013 riding with Chad he's obviously been a mentor of yours at that point you've trained together all these things because you that was the biggest probably maybe step like seismic step you ever took forward then from just being a top five guy winning motos to being like clearly the second best guy. And then you go on to win your, your first overall that season as well. Yeah, we made some, we made a big change to Chad's program and it was, it was a change I wanted. Uh, Me and Chad had talked about it and then Chad finally offered it to me ever since he'd been on the Yamaha. I kind of wanted us to team up. It seemed like the perfect time with everything because we had always trained together, worked together. And then a few years previous to that, like obviously uh, me riding for different teams, him riding different stuff, we didn't get to train together all that much sometimes. So this year, joining his team, taking me fully underneath his wing, I I ride for him and it worked out great. Uh, And I can say it now with a little bit better is – it was a really muddy year that year. And I don't know when I became a better mud rider. Do I think the mud is, I, I have better results in the mud. There's no doubt in that, but I don't ask for the rain by no means, but that year we had a lot of mud races. There was a lot of battles. And the thing about his program and the thing that I learned that year is your program's got to be spot on. And sometimes making changes to the bike isn't the right call is you get a good setup and you learn what it's going to do and not making so many changes and making sure your stuff is right when it shows up to the race. 
and your program is solid. And that's kind of what all ended itself to the mud races was our team, the Wiener Motorsports team was, we were ready. When we showed up to the races, our bikes were ready. We were ready to race and we had a good program. And that's what led me that year. And it was a big jump. I mean, I got second that year behind Chad. We went one, two. First year, Wiener Motorsports had a second rider. I mean, things were on top of the world for us. And going into the next year, obviously, I'm, I came from being a fifth-place guy, like you said, maybe a couple podiums, to I'm on the podium, I think, eight out of the 11 rounds, uh, second in points. Uh, I got my first over overall, which we can get into for sure. was amazing. And that season was huge jump forward. And like I said, you know, that was my first overall. And I don't want to skip over that by no means because that weekend was unbelievable. It's, it has the front flip that everybody remembers me by. And honestly, uh, I don't hate it, but I hate the, the fact sometimes it gets overshadows my first overall because that, that Loretta's weekend was amazing. And my mindset was right because even in the mud, <clears throat> that first moto, I started behind Chad and John. John Hole shot it. Chad was second. I was third. I passed Chad. And I'm like, there's one thing I know about mud races is you got to get to the lead and you got to get to the lead fast. You can't wait. It's because by the second or third lap, you're probably where you're going to be the entire moto. Yep. And I knew it. So I was like, I got to get to John and I got to get to him now. And I hit that kicker on that jump and it kicked me over and I endowed and I'm like, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm eating it right here, right now. This is it. And I let go of the bars, like kind of like protect my face, like just whatever, but my foot got hung because I was bailing. Uh-huh. Like it, it endowed, it hit the front tires hit. And then I knew that I was done because it didn't bounce forward. And I'm like, so I went to bail. My foot got hung up. Somehow the bike flipped over without smashing me. And I opened my eyes and the bar, we're rolling down the track and the bars are in front of me. And I'm like, all right, we got to go. Which yeah. is awesome because I smashed Upperman off in the track in the corner because he was trying to go around the outside of me. So I just smashed him off the track right away. <laughs> uh, I remember electric start and everything. I remember that so vividly because I was watching it from the tower right there. And I remember, um, I remember you endowing and all of a sudden, like you, just like you said, your foot was, was still stuck on there. So you're, you're still seated and it's like all of a sudden your hands come to the bars and you like have a, like, I literally remember watching you have a realization for a second that, Hey, I'm still on the quad. Like everything's good to go. You fire that thing up. I remember the, the, the block or whatever you throw on Upperman and uh just that in itself was so miraculous and then for you to go on to win that moto and win that overall I should say um that what uh what a day like just uh absolutely absolutely incredible oh for sure you know that that year so I got third that moto I think I had to pass a couple people back John I think won Chad second and then I ended up getting to third. And that was awesome. Uh, I remember, so uh, we lost Caleb Moore that year. And me and Caleb grew up together. And it, it was a very hard loss for our whole group here in Texas and, and, a lot, and across the country. But I grew up racing with Caleb. In the TQA days and those blaster days, I guess, he was one of the guys that I battled with the most here from Texas. And obviously he went freestyle. I went racing. Now, Caleb definitely kept his racing roots. He would do when he could, but freestyle was his main deal. And then he would race, and he was always a class ahead of me because he was a year older. Because um, he moved up pretty good through 
good as well, but he was never had the championships because he was always missing races for freestyle. But sure, we lost him at the beginning of that year. And I remember between motos, George Cortez came over to me and goes, somebody was riding with you on that one for sure. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that was not me. Because Caleb was the guy that could pull stuff off like that. I remember him flipping over the bars at a freestyle contest, and he's laying his back on the hood. His hands are still on the bars behind his head, and his feet are underneath the bike, and the bike is still running, pushing him, so he digs his toes into the ground to stall the bike out, and, and he rocks away from it. And then, like, there's st- story after story of, like, that, the stuff that Caleb pulled off that, like, just mind blows everybody. And, and me racing and being so much part of it, it was like, that was definitely something that I felt like Caleb was there with me in that, that flip. And the second moto, I don't remember how the start went, but it ended up being me and Chad out front and me and him were battling hard as I'll get out. And Chad came so close to passing me in the last corner on the last lap, but I was able to squeak. I mean, like we were, I only had half a bike link on him over the finish line and I launched it off the track. And if he probably could have launched off the track, but his angle wasn't right to launch off the track it probably would have been even closer if not given him the win. <clears throat> so it was amazing that, that season. And going into the next year, we stayed with the Wiener Motorsports team. But that – Chad teaching me how to run a program, what to do, all the effort you need to do to, between the races, not only to yourself but to your program and your bike, it, it took me to a whole new level uh, in multiple ways. So I – that's the second, second or third or fourth time Chad himself took me and my program to another level. And uh, I continued on with that. In 14, uh, you know, things were heading downhill in the ATV MX world. And I guess, I, I guess I'm going to lead into 14 and then on, unless you got any questions on that year, Cody. Well, no, I mean, more than anything, I was just going to say that that had to have felt like a, like a finally moment for you to win that overall, because it had been kind of five long years at that point. Um, but, but you're kind of going exactly where I was going to go because I assumed that you took a lot of things from being with Chad for those years uh, riding for Wienan Motorsports that you were going to year use in the years to come towards your own program, but you can keep keep on keep on plugging because you're going exactly where I was going. Perfect. Yeah, I mean it was huge. It was the, one of those deals where I turned to my dad and said, "We finally did it. Yeah, uh, we finally won." So that was cool when we won that Loretta's race. But then at 14, everything stayed pretty consistent. The big changeup was Joel Hetrick. Uh, he started finding his own and he started becoming consistently more faster and uh his program i don't remember what it was or whatever but he was more consistent up there because i think even in 13 i think he had races where he beat me but he wasn't consistently up there it was here and there and in 14 he really started putting his program together so that was the biggest change so me and chad didn't go one two uh i won I won one race that year. I think I won, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I did. It was, uh, it was a few, one of the few times that I was the fastest guy on the track, I feel, or won. I won Walnut that year in okay. 14. Yep. And it was dry. It was not muddy. It was a sand track. And me and Chad actually talked about this the other day. I guess he had somebody question him about me, and he said, what was my best race? And, and he said this race, and I would agree with him, is that, this race or one other race is heads up 
I don't remember if I started in front of him or not, but he was behind me in a sand track at his home race. I I won Walnut that year. We went one two, and the best thing is it was Brandy's first race ever coming to a race, and us kind of like we I don't think we were even officially dating yet. She we were just talking, and she came with, flew in, seen me, and hung out, and that was the first that weekend I won at Walnut, and that year was a big thing because that was cool. That that race itself was really cool because it was. Heads up, I think I got second in the first moto or third in the second moto I came out and won. So that was super cool. But the biggest thing about 14 was is that after we went 1-2 the year before, our my pay didn't increase uh, into 14. And it, I'm getting older and I'm expecting a little bit more. And is the big reason is my pay didn't increase. And it kind of started forming a little tension between me and Chad just because I was wanting – I was expecting more out of the program as far as me being a top guy, because when I came to the program, I wasn't a top guy and there just wasn't enough room in a program for two top guys and it's Chad's program. So I, I look at 15, I'm like, I need to step back out on my own. So after that great season and us getting third and it was still a great season podiums, another win, it was super cool, but I needed to step out and all, I didn't change a lot of sponsors the next year, but what I did change or what big change was is that since I was running my own program, my own pro tent, I was running my own team out of it. All my sponsors that were with Chad were willing to do the same. They were for me there. If not more, it's like their budgets grew because I was on my own deal. So I was able to get paid more for running my own program than being under Chad's tent, which is fully understandable. I don't think Chad was stealing any money from me or anything like that. He did everything he promised me. It just was, they're just, the sponsors, because we were a team, wasn't as valuable as each of us as individuals. So stepping out, it was a great part. I learned a whole bunch from him. He taught me how to run a program, but I was able to make more money and get more salary with not being with Chad. So that was uh, a big decision on my end to step away from Chad because we had so much success there. And I believe it was Millville that year I won. And up to that point, like, I got a few podiums and stuff. But I was like, I need a win to kind of clarify that I did not make the wrong choice by stepping away from Chad's program, that I can still run this good program. Sure. And I remember Walnut that year. It was funny because I was faster than Chad in the rollers. It's the moto, whatever it was, is on the other side of the track, the harder pack side, he would catch me and the rollers I would pull away. And that, as we all know, that does not happen very often. No, no, so not that, at Chad. No, not at Millville either. Right. And, and on that side of the track, I'd pull a gap. And then on the other way, I'd pull and he'd catch me back. And he had like this line where there's a split lane before the finish. And he was like jumping across the split lane. But nobody could tell me to do this when I was out front. And everybody, like, it was nerve-wracking because when I'd come into the rollers, I'd hear them behind me. And when i leave them, I'd have a gap. And then every lap, it was the same thing. So, but that was, like, a clarity to me that that season was big because it was stepping out of me, me winning that moto. That was a big sigh of relief that I did not make a mistake. Well, and even and that I was doing, that I could still do this without having Chad. Of course. And even in the, in the years with Chad, you know, kind of previous to that, that's when you 
kind of started being that top five lock. And that kind of went on for the remainder of your, your, your career, even when you branched out by yourself. And now you're talking about winning, uh, winning these races and, and, and kind of proving that you made the right decision, but you finished in the top three um, in points, every one of your last eight seasons, except for one. And that must've been the year after the year you were just talking about. I think it was 2016. You must've got hurt that year, right? I, I can't, I couldn't remember couldn't remember uh that scenario yeah uh we went to monster mountain for the first time and they had that big uphill triple yep and everything was going the same i was same position as i normally was it was all really close to everything all my last few seasons were similar as far as speed and joel and chad were the best me and jeffrey were third and fourth okay uh but everything was kind of status quo up that uphill triple, I uh, my bike fell out of fifth gear on the face, and I endowed into the backside of the landing, flipped up, and I messed my hand up pretty good. I raced the second moto, kind of, and then I did two more races after that, but something in my hand, and I still hand wrist area, something I still don't know what today is, I had multiple doctors, multiple x-rays, I think I did an MRI. And everything gave me different results. You have a bruised bone. You have a shattered bone. We're going to do surgery. We're not going to do surgery. And finally, we got the MRI, and they're like, man, it's just really badly bruised. And we finally decided to take Unadil off, and then we had a short break after that, and give it a break. And we ended up taking Unadilla and Loretta's off and letting my wrist heal. Okay. Uh, because I couldn't come into a corner – and push on that wrist. My right wrist was, there was no pressure with it. Like I couldn't squeeze the grip good. I couldn't squeeze the brakes. It was just, I was still racing and doing okay, but it okay. wasn't what I should be or sure. what I knew I could be. And that was tough because I never missed a moto before that. Like as oh. far as physically or anything like that, as we'd had DNS, but I never missed a moto. And this is, I think it might've been 17 was when this was or 16 maybe 16. right with 16 it was, it was 16 yeah because i remember okay so go ahead i was gonna say so we're seven seasons in and i have, haven't missed a race so that's probably 80 races because we used to have more than 10 rounds each year so right. we're that, close that, to it's some kind of record thomas it's some kind yeah. of record um but i didn't remember exactly the scenario all i remembered was uh you coming back at the end of the season after missing those few races and you coming back and finishing whatever you finished at the finale, like fourth or something, uh, that sealed a top 10 spot for you. And it took it away from me. So for me, Thomas, <laughs> that was not awesome. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Cause that was the, what we had the soaring Eagle the first year is our last okay. round, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You're exactly so we skipped right there. And I came back to soaring Eagle as my final race. Yeah, no, I mean, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I, that, that, that does suck. Uh, because, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was good. I mean, and, and if you would have had Soaring Eagle not a month after the season, it would have helped you out a lot because yeah. it probably would have kept me from competing at all that year. Right. Oh. Well, yeah, it is what it is. I, I had completely forgotten about this until I'm kind of like looking at the years, you know, and I'm like, man, what happened in 16? And I look and, and I see where I finished and I see where you finished. And then I see your last race of the year. I'm like, man, son of a bitch. <laughs> but, uh, but, That's uh, awesome. yeah, but no, I, it was, it was, 
uh, the most impressive thing of that was that, like you just said, after all those years, and it's even stemming back to being younger, not even just as a pro, but all those years of staying healthy um, was amazing. And I think that that had a lot to do with uh, the career that you put together as a whole. I mean, in the last decade here, you etched out a, a career. I've already told you this. We said it on the podcast, but I believe it squarely puts you inside the top 10, you know, ATV racers of all time with uh, upwards of, of 50 AMA ATV pro class podiums. You had those handful of wins that we talked about. And throughout that, you were the, you were the consummate professional week in and week out. Um, you know, I know from some some comments you've made that it all kind of blurs together at least the last handful of years because they were, it was so similar, but uh, the career that you put together is amazing. And your lack of your lack of missing races because of injury is unprecedented. I appreciate that. And, and I, I knew that uh, like we talked at the beginning of the podcast that weight got lifted because I knew that I had been very fortunate. And even with the races I missed in 16, I, I could have still raced, but I was losing championship points. And at that point, nothing to take away from your top 10, but I knew my goals were top three, if not better. And those goals, I wasn't healthy enough to achieve those goals. So I knew I needed to take time away. Right. But I, I knew it was, I, man, it was, I knew it was fortunate. So going to these last few rounds this year, that was, I was nervous as all get out about getting hurt just because I knew how fortunate and lucky I, I had been. And, and in this sport, it, it wasn't skill that kept me. I had luck on my side because I've had get-offs and wrecks and I pushed myself. But for me not to have that big injury or that big get-off that takes me out, I, I had been fortunate well, and lucky and all the same, you know. I was Go going to say, I mean, you rode for your, the entirety of your career with so much aggression, right? Like you can just see it in your riding style. You have this aggressive, you know, attack position riding style that so few have. It was never for lack of aggression or lack of like taking chances. Cause you said you, you were only thinking about that at the, at the very end of your career. Uh, you just like it, it, I don't, don't, I don't know if you call it luck or whatever. I don't necessarily always believe in luck. I feel like you kind of make it um you make your own luck or whatever however you want to say it but it all worked out that injuries just never were a part of your career and that's a pretty amazing thing to say oh uh, yeah i'm fortunate and like you said it was never a fear of nothing because uh one thing i did pride myself on and me and chad get into it a little bit here and there was i always wanted to jump stuff first just so i could claim it okay. and this has been going on for you know probably five years now i think since creamer uh, basically since Creamer left and maybe even a little before Creamer left, uh, you know, Creamer was the guy to jump stuff. And I, that, I wanted to be that guy. And okay. I don't know if I even really wanted to be that guy, but then all of a sudden I became that guy. And then it was, it was always a goal. I like, did get mad when we go to a practice track and Chad would jump. So he's like, I did that lap two. I'm like, I did it lap three. Literally this year we went to a, a little light track in uh, Iowa, Hawkeyes Downs, I think. Hawkeye and Chad Downs, jumped this yeah. one thing. Yeah, we it got rained out, and he jumped something I didn't. I didn't know you could jump all the way over this. And then at south of the border, he jumped over that little deal before me. I'm like, what the heck? Like, this, this ain't going down like this. But all the other years, it was always something that I wanted to do. So, like, I, I knew that like, it wasn't fear and, like, taking it easy. It just – it was luck to me that I didn't get more hurt. 
Okay. Well, it's funny. It's funny to hear you talk about the jumping thing. Cause I remember one of the times I think it must've been when we had team USA together, but uh, Joel made the comment. He's like, I don't try, I don't jump anything first. If Thomas jumps it, then I'll try and jump it. But b- before that, Thomas is our crash test dummy. So it's funny to listen to the, listen to the differences and uh, the dynamic there where you and Chad want to, want to out jump each other first. And uh, Joel says he was going to sit back and let you, let you try to jump things uh, before he would even, even think about it. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what is I jumped a lot of stuff that nobody else jumped at races before. And a lot of people don't know it because I only jump it once or twice in practice and I'll save it for the race. But then, like, the race line won't come in and won't be able to use it. But twice this year, I had something I jumped that helped me. At Aonia, I jumped that triple uh, that several guys jumped, but I did it several times in the race. But in qualifying, I did it quite a few times because it was no secret that we were going to – some people were going to do it. And I made a pass on Hogue there, which was awesome because uh, my future father-in-law, Bill, was there, and he saw me and like, why do you keep jumping that? The inside's faster. You're, if, if you go outside, somebody's going to blow across, and you're not going to do it. I said, I guarantee I make a pass there. So I made sure that I made a pass there that weekend okay, uh, j- just to prove him wrong. And, and I was able to tell him after the race, like, do you see that pass? And then uh, the biggest one and one of the proudest things of me jumping something that nobody else jumped was that quad at uh, Muddy Creek in the bottom. Oh, is yeah. Okay. That, yeah. that almost got me that moto win alone and it was so cool because it was the one of the few times that I jumped something in practice and I don't tell nobody I don't say nothing obviously people see it and then I pop it in the race and not only did I do it in practice and nobody did it I did it every lap in the race and it Chad did it later on in the first moto but it was something that actually finally me doing this extra stupid thing that probably didn't need to be done actually helped me out for once so that was a super cool moment this year that yeah it would have been awesome to get that first moto win and stuff like that but that jump alone was super cool because it wasn't hard actually i thought quadding it was easier than tripling it and but it finally worked out for me i'm like all these years of doing stupid jumps that nobody else does i finally able to do one in the moto that actually helps me okay so that was cool prior to the the pro racing or whatever. Um, I remember thinking to myself when I'm on the racetrack, I'm like, somebody's going to quad this. And you were obviously the first one I thought of because this is, this is this little, I've, I've heard enough of this banter about you being the first one to jump things at this point that I know, I know you're the guy. So um, to see you do it. And then, yeah, I don't even, I don't even remember if Chad did it in the first moto. I know he did it in the second moto, but you were the only two guys uh, in the pro racing that I remember doing it. So um, for you to, for you to kind of start that uh, like nobody was going to jump it if you didn't put it that way. So, um, um, yeah. it was, uh, it was pretty impressive. And, and, um, those were some of the memories I think too, that I take away the most from this year, but I mean, something, I guess we haven't touched on yet. And I'd be remiss if we didn't is you saved some of talking about your best efforts. You saved some of your very best rides for your three years of representing team USA at the quad cross of nations. So, um, we've talked about this in length at points in previous podcasts, more specific uh, directly to the quad cross of nation stuff, but tell me about how much you enjoyed being part of those team USA squads um, and how you were able to 
basically save your very best for those overseas races? Man, I, I took those races very, very serious. Is my training program, they were normally about a month after the last round. And it's been a long season. And I went hard. Like, I stayed after it. I changed my program to going to longer motos. And then I'm going to let you know, Texas in September is hot. August, September, we're hot. And Loretta's being at the end of, you know, middle, beginning of August. Normally, we have a month from then, month and a half. Sure. I'd take about a week off. Okay. And then I would go to 30 plus twos. And I'm pounding them out the whole time. And I would put effort into that. One year, I drove up to Chad's to ride with him for a couple weeks. One year, I drove up to PA to ride with Joel for a couple weeks. And I, I put the effort into those races because I, I wanted to do good. I did not want to disappoint, especially that first year because I didn't know what we were getting into. I think Chad and Joel were a little more confident that we were going to blow everybody away. But I, for some reason, I didn't believe it. Like, when we were headed there, I'm like, we don't know how fast these guys are. We, I mean, they come over here and we beat them, but we're going to their land. Like, man, like, I was nervous as all get out. And like we kind of talked about earlier, it's when I have confidence, I don't do as good. And every time we went overseas, I was nervous about something. And I don't know if the nervousness – makes me focus more or what but man is I, I do feel like some of my better rides were over there it plays to my that first year on the hard pack track we are quite a bit better than the european riders they're very talented and stuff like that nothing taken away from them, but our hard pack skills are a little bit ahead so that first year was awesome um and, and we would have had the it would have been a very solid race we had some things fall in our favor and then obviously joel blowing up did not fall in our favor. It helped me go 1-1. But it, that race isn't about any rider going 1-1 or anything like that. It's it's that score. And last year, we were finally perfect. We had that perfect score. Yep. But every year, there was something going on. The first year was the unknown of how fast they are, how good are we, how good are they not, uh, what's this longer moto going to be like. And then the next year was the first year in the sand and the tight one. And then the third year was a little bit more relaxed coming into it. But this track, the third year was the nastiest track I've ever seen. And I remember coming off the site lap because I didn't do what I was moto. Yeah, I was moto one and moto two. And I came off the site lap for moto two. Moto one was rough by the end of it. But moto two, I came off the site lap. And that track scared me. I'm like, I'm like, no, like, I remember Mark coming and said, how's the track? That is the gnarliest thing I've ever gone around in my entire life. Is what I told him. He goes, worse than Red Bud? I'm like, Red Bud's roughest track is maybe as smooth as the smoothest section out here. Oh like, it doesn't gosh. hold a candlestick to this. And that extra little element, I think, allowed me to focus and nervousness. So that race always scared me, and I always put the effort in. And, man, it, I just knew that we were going over there to represent our country and prove that we are the best. And that that means something to me. I know in other podcasts, and I've said it a lot, is that 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 was big for me. So going over there was always a big deal. I think it took me out of my comfort zone a little bit, which evidently helps me. And the other thing is that race is all about consistency. And granted, I'm sure the second moto in Denmark, both Chad and Harv will argue with you that I was riding over my head and riding like an idiot, along with uh, Brandy's old man, Big Bill. Uh, but it's all about riding consistent and smart and a long moto. And all those things I think are some of my strong suits being the fastest guy is not. 
And but consistent, being strong, and enduring a long moto are are what I like, and that's what those races were. So that was super. I think that stuff lends its hand to me, and man, it's it's super. It was super cool to be a part of that. Something this year I wanted to do to end the careers. I would have loved to have announced my last race at the final, and then hopefully I've been chosen for Team USA. And at that point, Team USA would be my last race. And that would have been my ultimate sign out. And that would have been really cool. But I'm, I'm ultimately proud of the whole career. And then the Team USA stuff was a dream of mine and Chad because we would watch the dirt bikes. And Chad and Harv made it happen. And I'm grateful that we get to do it. I hope it's a tradition that goes on. Chad, Chad gave me, uh, let's say he gave me some crap the other day. He goes, you know, you're retired now, but you always said if, if uh, Team USA called, you would line up. He said, you might not have raced your last race. I said, man, I say, if y'all call me, y- y'all are in rough shape, but I'll do it. <laughs> I was like, y'all better give me a heads up, and I'm riding your bike because I'm going to sell everything. And he said, all right, I'll keep that in mind. So uh, it, I, I don't think I'll ever get the opportunity again, and nor should I. Um, but if some crazy world we get like the dirt bikes where somebody needs to be called, I, I would do it. But it, that race deserves to send the best riders over. And I guess with me saying that and me not ever going again, realistically not ever going again, as much as we like to joke about it, is that race. And I, I would like – I guess I want to get my opinion out there is now that I can say it, that I'm not going to get chosen, the three best riders, not the three fastest riders, the three best riders need to go. There needs to be no political games with that because, yes, we win by good margins, but that race is a whole nother beast. And experience is something big where is if somebody's hurt or there's some young riders or something like that's going on where maybe a couple riders of ours aren't healthy, you need to look at Woods, guys, because it's not all about speed over there like we were just talking about. It's about being strong and mentally tough and being able to think out there where I would be worried, like sending a rookie over there, you know, somebody in the future comes out hot, but you want to send somebody that can really think because speed's not it. Like somebody like Walker that can think is a better person to have at that race in my books than a, somebody that comes out and is just super fast because the motos are long, the tracks are gnarly, gnarly rough and you got to be smart. And I think, the best riders need to go and whatever that is needs to do it. But I've heard a lot of teams, they need to stop sending the same three guys and stuff like that. When they're referring to me, Chad and Joel, um, whoever the best three are need to go because those guys are getting closer to us. And we've been just one mistake, one bad race from not winning that thing several times, because for us, as easy as it seems to get, you know, five or six motos in with good results it's been hard. Like we've been close a couple of times to not getting five or six. I mean, even last year, Chad got DQ'd from that last moto because he got turned around and cut across part of the track. None of us would consider it cheating, but because we have the spotlight on us, yep. if one other time we had made a mistake that day, one other DNF, one other chain breaking, we would have lost last year. It would have went from a perfect score to losing. And that's that. I will say that, and it's this is a good platform, and I'm using it to talk right now. So yeah, go ahead. Following the platform, Cody. Yeah, there you go. We need to send the best riders. It doesn't need to be a flat, uh, political game. Whoever the best riders are, and I trust Harv and Baldwin to make that decision. And 
uh, once again, I'll clarify, not the best drivers, not the fastest. And a lot of times those two go coincide inside, but sometimes not always. And so whoever Team USA chooses, they, 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 they choose it based on that. And I know Harv and Baldwin, you know, team manager and Amy representative, they, they put a lot of effort in that. And I think they do a great job running that team. So whenever it comes time next year to send a team, I, I, I look forward to seeing who they choose. And I, I know that they'll choose the best riders and that'll be the greatest. But if those same riders go five years in a row and we're still winning five years in a row, there, there's no need to change it up because if you want your shot, you got to become one of the best. Absolutely. I think that so many of us uh, take so much pride in what you guys did for us, representing us the way that you did. I mean, I think people on the inside aren't like, hey, we should send some different guys. Like that's not, that's not how anybody, and you know this, but it's not how anybody on the inside feels. So uh, I feel like maybe, maybe you should be added to that list. Cause I, I know that uh, you're still going to, you have so many friends in the sport and stuff still, you're still going to be in the know on what's going on. So maybe, uh, maybe you need to be one of the guys that are helping make that decision. And like you said, you know, hypothetically speaking, maybe they come knocking, maybe they need a rider. I remember, you know, years ago, you know, Magic Johnson, whether it was the all-star game or, or the dream team or whatever, like they needed a guy, he comes out of retirement and he slips right in. So maybe that's, uh, maybe that's something that we need to think about, uh, you know, doing for the future. Maybe you can be back in the, the mix for Team USA. It'd be cool to see. But, um, you know, we're kind of – I hate to think of it as an end, ending of an era because you top three guys were a lock for those Team USA spots for so long. But we're getting to that point in the episode where uh, I think, um, you know, I'll always remember you as, as Captain America of the Quad Cross of Nations you know, teams, those performances over the years. But I, if I were to ask you um, how you want to be remembered, what would you tell me? Man, I, I like the sound of Captain America. Uh, no, uh, I love to be remembered for the Quad Cross Nations races. Um, man, I guess for me to be say is what I'd like to remember is just the top guy in the sport. Uh, that uh, I want to be a role model to the young guys. And just when people think of top riders, I, that was my ultimate goal when I was a kid. So if people could look at me that way and think that he was the top guy of the sport all the way around from on the track to off the track, that would be great. Um, ultimately, that, that answers your question. Is I just want to be considered one of the top guys. And that's what my goal was. And I, I hope I, you know, achieved that. And that's ultimately – I feel I have, and I guess that's what really matters. But at the same time, I, I hope that others feel that same way, that I achieved that. And I hope my kind of – I'm going to use the word legacy, but that's not the right word, but lives on, you know, for further down the road. Then, uh, you know, you're only as good as your last race is the way we all grew up racing. And I hope what I've done lasts a little longer than that. Well, you definitely, you definitely uh, achieved being a top rider in the sport. There's no doubt about that. But I think your legacy is going to live on for a long time. I mean, you, um, just the person that you are, and I remember I have some of these visions even this year of, um, you know, whether it's 
you know, helping ride downed riders or, you know, uh, infamously, you know, being a flagger or helping the flaggers or doing some of those things that so many of us, so many people remember of recent years. Um, I think that you were just such a great ambassador for the sport for so long. I feel like that's going to last, uh, for, a for a very long time to come. So I don't think that you have to worry about being forgotten or anything like that. Cause I think that you always have a home here in ATV racing and just like you and I talked about at the beginning of the episode, some of those older names that you and I remember like they were yesterday, people are going to think of, I mean, you are that guy. You, I mean, you're that guy to so many people, so much of the sport that for years and years and years to come, they're going to, they're going to remember, remember you. And, and uh, I think that, I mean, it's sad, but so much of, life for us in general. It's like, you don't appreciate it until it's gone and it's going to look weird when you're gone, but your legacy is going to last for a very long time to come. I appreciate that. And you talk about them older riders. One thing I think is cool. And hopefully this, hopefully I can be this for somebody down the road. Shane hit commented underneath like my retirement post or stepping away post and said, legend, like, Shane Hitt is that guy for me, like okay. somebody I looked up to and somebody I've got to hang out with here in recent years and, and somebody I got to know, but he commented underneath my post and said legend and that, dude, I, I can't tell you, like I came in like a little kid and showed Brandy, look, look, like that's Shane Hitt, like that, that's the man. Yeah. That's somebody that my dad pointed to me, that's how you ride a TT track and points to Shane while he's going around the track. You hear his clutch? that's how you do it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, like I can hear it. Like that he's winning the pro class by seconds. And that's, that's hopefully, I guess as an example, that's what I want to be to somebody is that somebody else that they can see. And if I comment on somebody down the road that they get as happy as I was. Well, you've, again, you've already achieved that because I know that exact feeling that you're talking about with those guys commenting on your stuff and whatever, but that's what people have got even from you already. But whether it was a little kid getting a high five from you or, you know, talking to a, you know, a little guy on the gate or whatever, like that's what you've been for those other people. And that's going to go on for, for years to come. So, um, again, you've achieved clearly being a top rider in the sport. And I think that you're, uh, you've been a role model for so many people for so long that there's no doubt in my mind that you've achieved that goal. No question. Awesome. Well, I, I, I hope so. And I appreciate that, Cody. That means a, means a lot, you know, it, it really does. Well, you're, you're, like I said, your legacy is going to live on for, uh, for a long time. So before we finish this thing up, we have a few fan questions to get to. We've covered a ton of them already. So I've kind of been crossing them off as we've kind of talked about racing memories, scenarios, all these things, but I have a few, I have a handful that we'll get to just a reminder that everyone who sent in questions uh, was entered into a random drawing for five digging deep hoodies, courtesy of PP performance tuning, which Thomas, that reminds me. So, PP performance tuning specifically wanted to be on um, our episode with you and Chad. And it sure, uh, it sure looked to me. And I've said this on a number of episodes as we broke down the racing this year and stuff, but it looked like your, you know, your YFZ 450 R's really livened up when you started working with, uh, with those guys at PP performance tuning. So get, what did, what, did working with those guys mean to you down the stretch here in the final stages of your career? Cause it looked like they definitely helped you grab a gear um, in this last season or two. 
So I've been working with uh, Jamie from PP Points Tuning for uh, probably going on four years now. Oh wow! But okay. when he first came, when he first came on, I limited him because I was I had ECU guys come in and they build all this power, and my stuff blows up. So I I'll be straight up. I didn't trust Jamie because not not because of him because I had motors blow up and I had learned from my experience that finishing races is way better than having the fastest bike on the track. So I limited him. And then even when I was with DASA, he was doing my tuning and he could build a map. So awesome. But I limited him on RPMs. I limited him on the way he got creative. I was like, just build me a good map. That's all I want. A good map. And then when I switched to Baldwin, him and Baldwin developed a lot, that whole motor and fuel package for me. And when I switched, I said, I learned to trust Jamie and I was switching to Baldwin and I kind of gave them the keys. I was like, y'all, y'all do it. Like I actually took a step back. Normally before when I did all the testing I'm there, I'm switching out heads, I'm switching out cams. I gave Mark a bike. He said, y'all do it. And that first year with Baldwin, which is two years ago, I actually did not race a full, my full setup at Daytona. I said, just give me something that's decent, something similar to my DASA stuff. Cause I just want a good finishing bike. And then we can test after that. Like, let's get through round one. We have a big break and things were tight. And dude, they brought me that bike for Texas last year. And it was supposed to get down there early. It didn't, but there was a track next door to underground. So on Friday, I rode it on the track next door and I did two laps and I'm like, Holy shit. This thing is fast. Like I came off two laps and I'm like, this is unreal. Like, this is unbelievable. And I don't know if y'all remember Texas two years ago, but there was the big triple in the back and the triple up front. Nobody else can make them. I was clearing them every lap. That thing was a rocket ship. And from then on, my power has been amazing. So between, and Jamie is a huge part of that. And I can't thank him enough. And if anybody needs any ECU tuning, contact him. He can, it's pretty amazing what he can do from even offsite. So just because he's in California, don't be scared to use him. He is absolutely amazing uh, and a great guy. So I, it took me years to trust him. I'm a, I, I'll put my word on it. You can trust Jamie to build you a map that's going to be reliable and good. And he can build some unbelievable power with tuning without even touching a motor package, just the tuning alone. So it, it did liven it up. It kind of bummed me out when Chad asked me for his number this offseason because I knew <laughs> the step that his bike was about to take. Okay. And you could see it in Chad's program this year. Well, he was mid on, but I still think I had the fastest bike on the track. Okay. His his Yamaha was it it, it ran good. I'll I'll give him that. It it wasn't no Baldwin PP tuned bike, but it was definitely a a lot closer. So, no Jaime or Jamie. I call him Jamie. A lot of people call him Jaime. Runs that portion of the tuning portion of PP, and it is awesome. And I'm glad he got got us to do this because. Uh, He's been a big supporter of mine, and I give a lot of credit for these past few years of my success. And uh, it was a true, true honor to work with him. And he is, like I said, you can trust him, and he'll build power. That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. Um, like I said, he made a point. He, he really wanted to be associated with the episode with you. So um, one, cool, happy to give uh, you an opportunity to kind of talk about him a little bit. Um, and I don't know if it was, you know, I'm sure – 
part of the portion, you know, the pie here would be, you know, PP and Baldwin. But I've been saying for the last, you know, season or two, um, dating back to last season, I believe you ended your career as the best version of yourself, the best rider that you ever were. Uh, what do you think? Did you go out on top uh, in that sense? If, if I ask you that question, cause I truly believe I'll bang the table here and argue against you. If you were to argue against me that you were the best version of yourself here um, in the last season or two, I, I to me, no question. Uh, I, I think so for sure. Uh, you know, I got closer to those top two guys that Joel and Chad are absolutely amazing. I uh, kind of stepped away from the rest of the pack majority of the year. And I could get – I battled with those top two guys a lot more. So, no, I, I fully agree. The past two seasons have been really good and strong. Uh, I think a little experience helped me. Uh, I think sometimes I used to overtrain and do some other stuff, and Chad will laugh at you and – or laugh not laugh at you, but laugh at me because he's like, I told you that all these years, but – Sometimes I don't listen as well as I say I did, but man, he, uh, but ultimately I, I would agree. I think these last two seasons have been great. I've been super happy with it. And it was a, with that being said, it was a very tough choice to step away. And I came to the realization to myself that I, I'm just not as talented as I think Joel and Chad were like, uh, I, not everybody can be LeBron. And I, I it was very tough for me to realize that. And I'm a realist. Like, I, I would love to say, oh, I thought this would change. Yeah, I'd love to say that. But, no, Chad and Joel were better than me. And I would like to think if I had more – could have put more work in, but I don't know where I could have done it. So, I gave it my all. And every time I hit the track, I gave it my all. Even this season when I knew they were better than me, I was, that wasn't going to keep them – that wasn't going to change how fast I was going to go, how hard I was going to try to keep them from behind me. But uh, I – it – it was, I think that helped me too. realizing that and admitting it to myself allowed whenever they did beat me, not to tear me down and send me backwards. It allowed sure. me to keep focused and keep doing whatever's best for me. So yeah, I would say, I would agree. I, I, I would fully agree. I've been really happy that my program has been great. Uh, I've really enjoyed the program that I've had. Um, and this year was super cool because it was very family oriented and as in, Billy, Big Bill, and my dad all mechanicing for me. Um, that was uh, that was really cool to have. My mom got to come to the last two races this year, and that was cool. Uh, I guess with that being said, is man, there's I've had some great mechanics over the year, and and there's been a lot of people part of that program. But uh, Brian Johnson was my mechanic for three years, and through some hard times, and man, he did awesome. Really helped me out. Uh, and heck, he, I couldn't choose one best man for my wedding, so Chad and Brian are having to split it. Okay, uh, stayed up next to me. So him and then Nate Hibbs, I, I, I give those guys because they were with me multiple years and stuff, and they really worked at. And even just uh, this past two years ago, MJ from JB Shop is it was, it, it was great. Uh, we had a very tight knit. So I, I learned each year. You keep saying I progressed, and even if my results didn't progress, I progressed in what made me happy and behind the scenes, the program that I was able to put together. And that, that was big. That's awesome. Uh, I think that so much is to be said about doing the very, like winning can, winning can be different for everybody, right? Like winning can be in a sense, 
doing the very best that you possibly can. And that's, I guess, what I kind of see in these last two years was you were the best version of yourself. And there was no, there's never a doubt with you when it comes to, did you leave it all on the racetrack? Like that's what you've always done. And it just so happened that you were racing against literally two of the very, very best that there ever was. That's why you're still in that all time great category for me. No question. It just so happened that you were in the era of racing against two of the greatest we've ever seen, you know, like it, like, uh, nobody has to be apologetic for it. Cause I think take those two guys away and you spend the last decade winning, you know? So, um, I feel like, I feel like there's just so much to be said about that. And then to, to hear, you know, it being such a family oriented deal here at the end. I think that that is so much what ATV racing is for so many of us that it is a family deal. So to do it throughout with your family um, and, you know, with your loved ones and over the years, I think in the last couple episodes, we talked about this, but, you know, I said that I thought it was so cool that as your career changed, you did it however you had to do it. And as it turned into going to the races with your friends and family, you know, racing out of your own trailer, you bringing, you know, towing it there with your pickup truck and still being a contender week in and week out. I think that that's one of the things that sticks with me the very most is that um, you went through a ton of changes throughout your career and a ton of changes to your program and at the end, you were, you were doing it within your means and still doing it at the, at the very top level. I just uh, think that that's one thing that'll always stick with me is, is and, and I hope uh, you set a precedent for so many people that it's not about the big giant rig. It's not about this, that, or the other thing. It's about going fast on the racetrack and leaving your best, your best effort out there. And you did that every single weekend for a decade plus. Um, and that's amazing. That's one of the things that I'll, that I'll, that I'll always, always remember uh, when it comes to your career. I appreciate that. I, I had one time I gave up in a race cause I didn't feel comfortable and I came back and my dad was not hard on me. Like let's, there, let's be very clear of that. He, I was way harder on myself than he ever was. He just was very supportive. But one time I came back to the trailer and I kind of given up in a moto where I didn't feel comfortable for some reason. And, came back to the track tr truck and he was loading up and he said, if you're not gonna give it hundred percent, there's no need for me to watch. He wasn't rude or mean. He just said, if you're not giving it all, I'm, I'm, there's no need for me to be watching. And that was the very last time I ever didn't leave it all out there. And that was a very young age and it was a very good lesson that he taught me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, that was a big part of me is leave it everything out there. And the family atmosphere is, this is, this is a family sport through and through. And I, I talk about my old man a lot and, uh, my mom gets left out of this a lot because she was always behind the scenes. My dad was beside me where my mom was making stuff happen at home. Uh, I have a sister that that's a lot of people don't know. Um, and my mom, my mom with my sister and my dad went with me for a lot of years. And my mom worked very hard behind the scenes to run the company when they had it and make sure it was good. So my dad could leave and always supported me and, she was the one who talked my old man into letting me get homeschooled when I was a junior to, so I could focus. So I, I, I want to give some credit to my mom too, because I talked about my dad a lot, but my mom was a uh, huge behind the scenes. And then 
transferring that as Brandy these last few years as every year she stepped up and it's been super cool of how this, the sport ATV racing being smaller and not having, I'm going to say not because it has, doesn't have all the money into it where it pushes you away from your family. It really pushed my family together. And I think that's super cool. And I think ATV racing does that for a lot. So, you know, I, I always, the two things we kind of have there is that you leave it on the track and man, this, this is family. And I, I got to give a big shout out to mine for this whole career. That's awesome. And that kind of, uh, one of the very last things I had here was, um, you know, to give you an opportunity to talk about Brandy too, because, uh, she, she, you and I've talked about it, but she loves it as much or more than, than you do. Right. So, uh, what a team player you've had down the stretch here, but, but to, um, have somebody that loves it and enjoys it and supports it as much as she does, that would, that just fit into the rest of your, of your kind of family togetherness that this has been for all these years. So, um, got to believe that that was a blessing, uh, for you, especially down the stretch here and probably helped you be the the, the best version of yourself. Like we talked about. Oh, for sure. It's funny because I never wanted to date a chick that raced. Like I always wanted my personal life to be away from racing because racing takes over 95% of your life. And I wanted my girlfriend and my significant other to not have been involved in the sport. So it didn't take up 99% of my life. Okay. And it it did not work out like that. And and I'm really (laughs) happy it didn't work out like that because I love Brandy. Yeah. And, and I, it'd be cool to hear her perspective on it. And we've talked about it some, but her family did it completely for fun. And Billy got to a pretty high level, but still an amateur. But this in the first few years, let's just put this way. Each year she became more and more involved in the program as, as it would take. And we look back now and she's like, I can't believe all the stuff that we do basically like based around racing and doing our best, like day to day life, was based around that and each year in the past few years since she's been living with me and full time, you know, us dating her being my, you know, my right hand, my right hand man, right hand woman, she took care of so much and our focus became so in line with what, what do we need to do to make, to, to do the best of the races. And she's been a huge step. And like I said, each year, the first year she didn't do very much. I mean, she would help out here and there where she could. And it's crazy is I look back now and it even away from the races is one thing, but even just as simple as at the races, like my gears get set out for me. She, she just knows what needs to be done next. Like she knows the schedule, she knows what's happening and she's there. And that's, that's big. So it, it Brandy definitely has stepped up these last few years or every year since we started dating and, it's been great to have her by her side, by my side. It's cool that she used to race. Uh, I'll go ahead and clear the areas. A lot of people said, why doesn't she still race? And I told her, I said, you can race and I can give you a bike to race, but there is no way on Saturday I can go to the line with you. Uh, this was, and then I got my own riders at that point. And I'm like, Randy, like we have our riders. We can't, we can't, there's no way I can go to the line with you. You really need to go to the line with the other riders when I can't all the T-Brown training riders and she's like, and she knew it. And I I don't know if she really wanted to race or didn't want to race, but it it wasn't a real option. I said, if you want to race, I can give you a bike and you can call your old man and any race he can come to, you can race because 
he can go to the line with you and he can support you. And on Sunday, I'll be there all day for you. But Saturday, there's, there's no way I could focus on that. And if you're two motos before me, I got to get dressed. Like I can't be on the line. And so, and it was never a question for us, but I did give her the option to race, but in our situation, it just wasn't really feasible. So it, it pretty cool. Cause I, I know that question comes up a lot. So I figured I'd clear the air. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you did. I think that there's so much that she understands because she you know, was a, was a good young racer. Like there's just certain things that you only understand when you've gone through it. So, um, you know, I think that there probably is some things that she can, you guys can talk about her or you can, she can relate uh, more than just a typical girlfriend would. Um, so I think that that's, you know, cool, but anybody that's went through the, you know, kind of racing the pro class and knowing how big of a effort that is would fully understand that, uh, you rely on her and you weren't going to be able to add anything more to your, to your Saturday schedule. So, um, no doubt about that. So what do we know about, uh, do we know anything more about the next stages of, of your guys's life? You know, now that the, the racing chapter has come to a close, do we, do we know more of what's next for you and Brandy? Can we speak on that at all? Uh, can you fill in at all on that well first and foremost we get married uh beginning of december so yeah it, it's kind of funny because we get married and then our life starts over um i have decided to i'm starting emt school in january and then going hopefully starting fire school in the fall semester uh and i'm gonna do a, try to become a fireman in florida we're looking at moving to florida shortly after i finish emt school and making the move to Florida. I, I love it there. I love the atmosphere. I love the activities. Uh, and we have a lot of friends there. Uh, we have a great group of friends there. And honestly, I didn't realize the other day that I probably spent more time in Florida the, over the past 10 years than I have in Texas, just because I spend, you know, three or four months there every off season. And then during the season, I'm traveling so much that, you know, I'm not home a whole lot. So it's, that is, uh, that, that's our plan. And Brandy, is still trying to decide what's next for her because she has her life's been involved around mine. And then I finally decided what I was going to do. Uh, and so she's looking at a couple different things. I I'm not sure she nails it down, but she, she wants to start a career of her own. Um, so I'm excited for it. It's going to be a big step and a big change for us, but I, I got to give some props to Brian Johnson who I brought up a little earlier is that when he was mechanicing for me, the reason he stopped mechanicing for me is because he started going to school to become a fireman. And now is two years into the job. And I never thought about being a fireman. Even when he started talking about becoming one, I'm like, yeah, that's cool, man. Like, whatever. It's a cool job. And then just BSing with him over the past couple of years after he got hired on, I'm like, man, this is something I could do. Maybe, maybe this would be my next step. And this year when it came to reality, it, it, it all kind of clicked pretty quick. And uh, I really liked it. I wasn't sure on it. And it's, uh, it's, we're, we're making steps that way now. So, uh, we'll be a fireman in Florida. And I think it'd be kind of cool to still do some like rider training or, or not training. Cause I, I feel like what I did this year was training with the riders I do cause it's like long period stuff, but do some coaching and some schools in Florida, uh, and with a fireman schedule to allow that to be pretty open, you know? So is that'll be the cool part is that I'll have, you know, you work 24 on and 48 off. So I'll have a, some time to do other things, work hard, and then 
you know, work, do my farming job and then do whatever else I'm going to do inside. But then in the end, uh, have some time to maybe do some coaching and stuff like that or whatever's next, you know, whatever else I decide to do to make that extra money. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that's really good to hear. Congrats on all that because you had kind of communicated to me, you know, we had talked about off record that, uh, that that was a path that you wanted to take. So um, now that that's taking shape, uh, that's really cool to hear. And I'm pumped for you. And uh, especially to, to go to a place where um, is, a, is a place that you guys like and enjoy and have spent a bunch of time. And uh, for all the people that are listening, uh, it could mean that you're still around you know, ATV motocross somewhat. So, um, for everybody involved, it's, it's, uh, it's probably great news. So, um, yeah, congrats on that. So we got one more question. Uh, and it was one that I wanted to hear. You talked about some of your, some of the people you looked up to and stuff like that, but if you could race in any era of ATV racing, what would it be? Oh man, it would be, well, I went pro in 09, so it would be just probably move my career forward about five, six years. Okay. So I could have caught the uh, the full highlight of the factory teams in there. I came in at the tail end of it, and that would have been really cool. Um, I would like that. I would like to have. I would like to have seen and been a part of that. I got to see it from the outside and got to see it. I guess I would love to have been a part of that where you fly to the races, you have a factory team, all that would have been cool. All factories there uh, that I wish I could have done that in the prime of my career. Like I said, I caught the end of it and I was pro, but I was rookie and the class was so stacked that they weren't really taking rookies to those teams. Was, I had a good ride with the Yamaha, but it, it wasn't the full factory deal that we had there for a few years. So that would have been really cool to be a part of that. It, it, I guess I call it era, but it's I say you only have to move my career five, six, five, six years forward for me to really catch that in its prime. And that would have been really cool. It'd been a lot of talent, a lot of pro riders. And man, it would have been, uh, it would have been a totally different kind of world than what we're in right now. For sure. I think that so many of us, um, and you're probably included, but so many of us of that era, were kind of baited in because you thought for sure you were going to be part of those factory rides because again, I'm a, I'm a handful of years younger than you, but that's exactly how it was for me. It was like, okay, like I win a national championship in 07 and it's like, I feel like in the years, you know, coming, like there's no doubt I'm going to get, you know, some kind of factory affiliated ride. And then it was like, they baited you in. And as soon as you got there on the precipice of it, it's gone. Like, like they just yep. baited you in and now you're there. And it's like, there's not that kind of, uh, that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow or, or however you want to say it. So, um, that doesn't come as a surprise to me at all being that, uh, you and I would have kind of, uh, you know, had our sights set on certain things at the same time, but, um, it, it didn't work out that way, but you played such a major role in your era that that's something that you should, uh, still be able to hold on to. You were a staple for so long. You put together an absolutely legendary career and that's where, um, you know, that there's, there's definite, there's definitely going to be a void left behind with your departure. People are going to talk about your career for many years to come, like I said. And uh, for that, I think that you were in the, the right era that you were supposed to be in. 
That's awesome. I like to hear that. And, and I, I wouldn't change it. I've, it'd be really cool to be a part of that, but things could change so much. I've, I've had a great ride and man, it's been a, a great experience. The, I guess the other cool area would be, would be to mention when the series was combined back in 2000, whenever you did TT and moto. Yep. I'm not sure if I would want to do it or not, but man, it would have been pretty cool to see more of that. Cause that was right before me. That I wasn't was... doing nationals. I was just getting into racing. Yep. So it'd have been cool to see that. And maybe if I would have seen it, it would have been cool to participate in. That was such a cool era too, because you didn't have like, like, and I've talked about it on previous episodes, but the TT guy, like there was TT specialists, there was motocross specialists. And that's, I think why you didn't have just a, you didn't have a guy that won like every single year for an array of years. Like that's why it changed because you just took good TT guys and took good moto guys and then they'd shine on their disciplines and then you'd mash them together. And that's where you saw such talented riders, I think. And you saw some, uh, some fluctuation in, you know, who would win and stuff like that. So I think that the, the GNC days of ATV motocross, ATV racing, um, that was a, that was a really cool era too. I just growing up, seeing those videos, seeing those riders, seeing the, the old VHS tapes of that stuff was, uh, that was just such a cool era to me too. So that might, might be the one that I would pick. Hey, you might need to verify to some of the younger listeners what a VHS tape is because they don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. You got to press rewind and you got to do it because I had them uh-huh. that one. every morning I'd watch. But the old huevos in those videos, uh-huh. man, like, oh, that that was – I remember those days like, oh. But, yeah, that It just gets me going. So it just cool. gets me going. I can oh, still yeah. – still hearing like some of those old uh, – like the old songs from those movies. Oh, I, yes. They're so brings like, me, like, uh, brings me right back. Oh, brings me right back. It's awesome. So the, uh, With the Huevos 3 with the Butterfly uh, song. Uh, exactly. Uh, yes. I, yeah. And then the Huevos Grande video where the, uh-huh. the, the eggs crack and all that. Uh-huh. I mean, Wes Miller had a cool, cool deal there, and, and he had it hooked. And man, that'd be cool. It'd be really cool to see another National Born Killer movie come out too. Oh, that was so uh, awesome. I still watch yeah. that to this day. Like, like it, those two get me going. I still like the some of the soundtracks to those videos get me going too. You know, um, the Smashing Pumpkins songs yep. that were on there. Like, it's it just brings me right back. Yeah, I have. I hate. No, I don't hate, but I dislike like hard rock. But those songs and those videos, I like just because that was <laughs> that was the air. Exactly. So I, if anybody needs to see it, I, I saw Wes Miller has the whole Huevos collection like up like a box set. So if any of you kids want to see what it's back in the day, you need to go get the whole collection. Oh, and man, so awesome. it would be so cool to to get like another behind the scenes like in people's motorhomes and talking about it. That'd be cool. I mean, Gloop does so much good right now for our series, but man, it'd be cool to have somebody else come in and focus on behind the scenes stuff. That would be awesome. Absolutely. We grew up on that stuff that you're talking about. So that's why I think for both of us, it takes you right back. But in, in, and then you talk about Gloop. Gloop can only do so much, right? No, but, he can't. I don't think he can do any more. No, but he, he does good. Uh, you know, it's me, me and Gloop definitely have our, uh, had our differences and maybe we haven't been the most friendly to each other. But okay. man, he, he, he stays with ATV motocross. He, he really tries hard. We clash heads. Like I said, sometimes we don't see eye to eye on stuff and that's fine. We don't have to, uh, but he does do good for the sport. Uh, and, and his media is, it keeps it going. There's so many people that watch the ride. Uh, and that, that's really cool. Uh, 
And so it would be cool. Like I said, we need – the sport needs more media, just period. And it would be really cool to see somebody else come in and do some behind-the-scenes stuff. Or if somebody else came in and did gloops where gloop could do behind-the-scenes, either way, it would be yep. – it would be really cool. And I hope this this uh, the series gets bigger. And I saw some more media this year than I have in a lot of years. And with that being said, I think the series needs to make some big changes uh, it, to, to grow that extra little bit. And, you know, I'm – I'd be happy, you know, if it does, if I could lend a hand in any way and still, you know, keep my life moving forward, I, I will do it. Cause I want to see this sport, even though I'm not going to be a part of it anymore, as far as racing it, I still want to t- see it succeed. So I, I think there needs to be changes being made. Uh, and it's, I hope to see it. Cause I feel like a lot of people see the same thing. And with that also being said is that I think that era of the factories areas, if we could get some exposure back, I don't think anybody's going to take it for granted, or at least I hope not. Uh, I hope there's enough of us that were there that would be like, Hey, like they ask you to do an interview. Don't question it. Just go, you know, Mm -hmm. and that would be really cool to see, you know, some big changes and some big media come back because I think everybody wouldn't take it for granted. Like maybe it was back in the day. Of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like people like you have so much insight into the things that, you know, are going to help it grow um, because you've lived it, you've seen it, you've seen the ups and downs throughout the years and stuff like that. Gloop holds down the video side of things. He's got it covered. Um, but I do feel good about like the added the added media that we bring to, like with the podcast. The, the podcast, I can't tell you how much is – before I knew you were even into it, I've been hounding Rodney. Like, you need to do more of a podcast. You need more of a podcast. And Rodney does great with the quad radio. Yes, he does. Absolutely. He does great with it. But a true podcast, I mean, this is this is great. Now, Cody, I'll critique you right now. And then I think you need to be more opinionated. I, or you need it. Maybe you don't need it because you're the face of it. I but do man, try I to be. You need to get some. I do try to be politically correct because the group is so. And, and somebody has to. And it's because yeah. it, you can't piss nobody off because then you'll yeah. limit yourself. But I do think you need to find somebody to come on here that, that ain't afraid to piss somebody off because, man, everybody loves drama. I mean, I hate reality oh, they TV. Do. Oh, but yeah. I, I listen to the Pulp MX show and the <laughs> drama and the different opinions. The opinions. That's yeah. what it's about. Yeah. Yep. And I agree. The sport's too small. I don't think you could personally do it or it, not quite yet. You got to get your following up first. But is that it, that would be the only thing the show's missing. But, dude, if that's my only critique for you, Dude, you're killing it, man. So I, I, I can critique you and at the same time say you're killing it because I think this is exactly what the sport needed. Uh, it, you know, we could always use more and more media, of course. Oh, but yeah. as far as this, the podcast is awesome. You're doing race reviews kind of now. Uh, you're having different guests on at the same time. You're doing, you know, stories such as mine. Man, this is, this is awesome. So I, I think you're doing great with it. I think it's awesome. So, dude. You, you can definitely give yourself a, a pat on the back or however you want to say it is that you have done something here and even past your racing career. Now you're even making, or your racing career is still going actually. So even with that still going, you're making a huge impact with, and I heard on the Wienan show, uh, the media guy now. So I'll, right. I'll give you that. So now, I, I like it. I like that. We have a media guy. We'll, we'll take it. <laughs> uh, and man, 
so congrats, man. Well, I appreciate it. I wasn't saying any of that to, to give myself a pat on the back. It was more, um, I'll give you the pat on the back so you don't have to give okay, it to yourself. Okay. Well, I appreciate it more than anything with the, so with the race reviews, I like the thought of we're bringing more attention to some of the battles that aren't necessarily at the front. That's kind of my idea. Absolutely. That, that's always been my idea there because there's good dudes that are battling hard for sixth, seventh, and eighth that aren't getting any, you know, no dig on anybody, but they're not getting any exposure anywhere else. And then uh, for, for stuff like we're doing right now, you wouldn't have another outlet for this conversation for all of these old bench racing stories, all these memories, everything else, there would be no other place for this um, other than you. So for to have all of our listeners in, you know, 40 plus different countries, tens of thousands of people listening uh, to be able for you to tell this story. And then, you know, ultimately, um, you know, kind of be able to give back to the fans in a way, uh, I'm super proud to give people like yourself that avenue um, for them to benefit from or however you want to say it, you know, that's my, that's the thing I'm most proud of that the podcast has become. So I'm, I'm just proud to give people like you that opportunity. No, it's awesome. I think you, your, all your ideas are great and man, just keep it up. And, and if in the future, maybe I could become that guy with the more opinions that I was hey, talking about. I'm all for it. I'm yeah. all for it. Yeah. yeah you know, is because I'm out now, so I don't have to be politically correct anymore. Uh, there you go. Yeah. So th that's great. But but man, but the thing the thing is though is the 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 line that you have to dance is it needs to be somebody who whose opinion matters, who knows what they're talking about. Because I could bring on anybody I wanted to come throw out some terrible opinion that we can then hop on and make fun of, but it needs to be somebody who knows what they're talking about. So, so you can be that guy. Yeah. Well, if I get a hot take next year, midway this season, or even at the beginning and I'll come I'll be sure to, please. I'll be sure to throw it out there at you. Please. So, uh, no, I mean, it's next season. I have no clue how I'm going to take it whenever I'm not lining up on that gate. Yep. It could be great. And I could like watching it. Uh, I'll probably be in Florida during Daytona. Will I go to the race? Will I not? I have no clue right now. Uh, I don't know where I'll be in life for one, but even on the backside is, is I don't know if I'll be able to take it. Um, I sold a bike the other day and went to the track and I actually had the itch to ride, which was crazy because I didn't think I would, but I only had the itch to ride because I wanted to go try to jump something. But then when I thought about wanting to actually jump it, I'm like, no, I'm out. But I will say that, uh, I have sold everything. Like I'll have my dirt bike and that's it. And my, my, uh, my mud four wheelers. Cause that's where it's all at now. You, you, you'll catch me at all the uh, redneck events from here on out. But as oh far as God. racing goes, I, I would like to keep up with it as long as mentally I can do it. Uh, it's going to be hard because I was so competitive. And that's ultimately why I sold everything. Everybody kept telling me, oh, you need to keep one bike. I'm, I'm too competitive and stupid is that if we went to a local track, let's say next year I haven't rode in six months, and I decide I'm going to go to the track. And well, – Let's say you're out there, Cody, and you've still been riding, but I haven't rode in six months. I'm going to want to beat you so bad, but me six months off the bike, I don't need to be going that fast. Right. And that's where I know I'm too big of an idiot, where I do think here in a couple years, and then also I've, I've heard through fire school, like through fire school, and then even through your first year, you can't get really hurt because it just, it's very hard to get hired back on. And if you get big enough injury, you could get let go and all that. And 
I heard it's just very negative to, to have any injuries in your first few years. As in, in any job, of it doesn't course. look good for you. Yep. So after that, you know what? I, as of right now, if the sport stays the same, there would be a chance I'd build a stock Yamaha again. Because, okay. man, that stock class is an absolute blast. And you don't have to work on the bike. And then also if I go to the track, I can only go so fast. Well, at least the bike will limit me on what I can <laughs> try to jump. Okay. So it, that would be cool. But, man, uh, it's, it's going to be different. So I would love to be uh, still a part of the sport. And only time will tell. I would love to promise you, yeah, I'd come on and do it. But we'll see. And I know you'll stay in contact, and I'll stay in contact there. But if I get some hot opinions, I, I'll, I'll throw them out there. Oh, please definitely reach out. You know, uh, you know, you're always welcome here. So um, yeah, I, I, I hope that that's something that we can do in the future. Uh, before I let you go, do you have any, any parting words for all your fans uh, before we let you out of here? Oh man, parting words to the fans. Uh, it would be just, thank you. Uh, the support in the years. And man, when I announced this retirement and me to take it lightly, I call retirement lightly because it's, most of time I call it stepping away because I still got to go to work. It, retirement's when you don't have to work again. But with that being said, is as far as the fans go, thank you all. The outpouring of support and everything I've gotten since I've announced and everything like that has been huge. It's super cool to me. Uh, and I'm very proud of all the fans I have. I know a lot of times people ask for jerseys and posters, and there's been times where like, yeah, I'll get you one, and I, I totally dropped the ball. Like, me getting into the computer and print a label is a lot harder than it seems evidently because it's, it's 20 steps away, but I forget to do it all the time. So uh, I, I want to do, you know, I, I apologize for that, but man, thank you to all the fans and stuff out there. And I do want to give something to all the up and coming riders is man, give it your all, put your heart into it. And that's, what's going to take you the furthest is that in my heart, this whole career, all I wanted to do was be the best I can be and be at the top of the sport. And whatever that took is what I did. And sometimes it wasn't the right choice, but I gave it my all every time I hit the track, whether it was practice or a race or what. And sometimes it, giving it my all was me not actually going all out in every moto in my practice bike. Sometimes it was working on this or just going through the motions that day just to stay loose or, you know, doing sprints or whatever it is. But if you go out there and you give it your all and you put your heart into it every time, I think that will be the biggest help to everybody. And so with that being said is I would really like to just make sure everybody keeps pushing us, you know, give it their, give it their all, put your heart into it. And saying that I live by is you make your own luck, which is as simple as that. If you want good luck, do the things to make the luck happen. And that's how you make your own luck. So you make your own luck and just put your heart into it. Uh, what a great way to end it. Uh, Thomas, be sure not to go too far because you're, you're always, um, welcome here. Like I said, you've always been so great to us with the podcast. I've always appreciated so much the way that you would go out of your way to thank my brother for his efforts. Cause he puts in a ton of uh, his own time and effort into this whole thing as well. So, um, I just, can't thank you enough for everything that you've done uh, to support us, be a part of it. Everything you've, everything you've done to support uh, our efforts throughout this pal. I just, uh, I can't thank you enough. It means the world to me. 
Congrats on a great career. Congrats on retirement. And we can't wait to see you succeed in the next stage of your life as well. That's ATB Racing legend Thomas Brown, as he calls it a career. He's brought to you by Manscaped. Use Digging Deep 20 for 20% off at manscaped.com. See you next weekend, buddy. Man, what an awesome episode. What an awesome career for Thomas Brown. Major thanks to Thomas. We're so appreciative for his time. Thanks as well to producer Dallas Jansen, my brother, who always finds the time. Thanks to Brooke. Thanks to our sponsors, CST Tires, shop.csttires.com, Yamaha, Valvoline, SSI Decals, DID Racing Chain, Wienan Motorsports, the Decker Training Facility, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV Components, Lunderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, Evans Waterless Power Sports Coolant, Forworks Carbon, DP Brakes, Gripped Gloves, Avocado Green Mattress, Roman Health, Factory 43, and Bike Strikes and Quads, LLC. Support the brands that support our show, and don't forget to use those codes to save. Find them on our website, and also go there to access that Rocky Mountain ATVMC link to help us out. Thanks as well to PEP Performance Tuning. We'll announce our five winners for this episode on our social media channels. And most of all, thanks to you guys for listening. If you're interested in our show merchandise, Digging Deep shirts, hoodies, and more are available with free shipping on our website today. And if you're looking for an easy way to support our efforts, visit our website and click the Buy Me a Coffee button. By doing so, this allows you to set up a one-time or monthly contribution to help us out. Remember to call our voicemail line, 920-569-3519. Give us a call today and you may hear yourself on an upcoming episode. Follow the show on social media, Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast, and myself, Cody Jansen, for additional content this offseason. And keep tagging us in those screenshots showing that you're listening. I promise to keep sharing them. It's greatly appreciated, and I like to think it can help us grow. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Basically, wherever you find podcasts, you'll find the Ding Deep ATV MX Podcast. You can also find our episodes, additional podcast providers, sponsor links and discount codes, our show merchandise, and more all on our website, diggingdeepatvmx.com, so check that out today. As always, subscribe to the show, give us a rating, tell your friends, share our posts, wear our shirts and hoodies. Congrats to Thomas Brown on an incredible career, and I'm sure we'll see so many of you this weekend at the banquet. With that, for Thomas Brown, Dallas Jansen, Brooke Catherine, and I'm your host, Cody Jansen, thanks for listening to the number one podcast in ATV Racing, a million downloads and counting. Until next time, thanks for joining us in Ding Deep with Stars of ATV Motocross. guys were hauling ass for real i remember watching doug gus i don't know who it was steel city running the same times friday afternoon as james stewart was on sunday back then at steel city uh, I, I would need to check this out I, I, i'm dead serious it was mental i've never seen quads go that fast
It's not easy, Steve. It's not easy. Listen, JB. <laughs> I don't no, want to hear. It's not easy. I don't want to hear. Quadlers are freaking nice. You don't like chew big red. Then. What the? <laughs> Support for the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels, providing you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Let's face it, we've all had our fair share of close calls while trimming below the belt. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. They've spent years perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. The state-of-the-art trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skincare technology, a battery that will last up to 90 minutes, waterproof technology that allows you to groom in the shower, and an LED light feature which illuminates grooming areas for closer and more precise trimming. We both know that cleaning up down there is a must, so you might as well use the best. Help us usher in a new outside-the-industry sponsor and solidify a relationship with this great company long into the future, all while improving your grooming experience. Trim that junk of yours and order today to help us out. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using code DIGGINGDEEP20.